You're listening to the Grind and Gratitude Show. I am Danny Stone, and I've dedicated my entire life to helping people win. Win in their careers, win in their businesses, and win in their lives. This podcast is going to help you get on your grind and hustle to create the life that you love and walk in gratitude along the journey. Each episode, I'll teach you tools and tactics and bring you conversations with experts that will help you turn your passion into a thriving online business. Life isn't about wishing for something greater. It's about making it happen. There's something special about you. Grind until you find it. Be grateful when you get it. The Grind and Gratitude Show. I am Danny Stone, also known as Coach Stone. Look, if you've been tuning in, you know that when I do this solo thing. I do my best to give you information that's going to help you to move your life forward. But you also know that when I bring a guest, you know, you know, it's fireworks because you guys DM me all the time and say, I love your guests. Well, guess what? I finally tracked this man down. I've been trying to track this guy down for a very long time. It's easy. He's always on a plane somewhere. He's in Jamaica and Dubai, but I finally tracked him down. You guys are in for a treat. Let me give you a little bit about uh, who this man is. He's a stand-up comedian. He's an entertainer. He's a public figure and a renaissance man. I really like that part. He's dazzled, sold-out audiences with top-notch comedians across Canada, the United States, and the Caribbean. Dubbed as the Canadian Steve Harvey, he has soared to the top of his game, and I can attest to that. I've been to a lot of his sold-out shows. 14,000, 15,000 people show up to see this guy. And he doesn't just put on comedy shows. He puts on a comedy experience. He's a singer. He's an entertainer. He's a comedian. Uh, He's a motivational speaker. I don't know what else this guy, I mean, that that should be enough, but he does so much more. Um, He, as one of the, he's a sought after comedian who's done tons of events. He shared the stage with people like Jamie Foxx, Brian, Brian McKnight, Russell Peters, Eddie Griffin, Tommy Davidson, and Cedric the Entertainer, just a few of the people that he shared the stage with. Um, He's been doing this for a very long time, since 2003. You do the math on that. Now, uh, he took a brief hiatus from stand-up comedy in 2019, and this year he's been doing a lot of phenomenal things, even in the midst of the pandemic. What you need to know is that he's working on his romantic comedy called Destination Wedding, can't wait to see that. It's going to be this. It's going to be funny. It's going to be hilarious. So I can't wait to see that. He's just an all round renaissance man, a brother that, you know, a lot of people look to for inspiration in difficult times to give you the realness, but also to give you some jokes to uplift your spirit. I have none other than the one and only Mr. J. Martin. Welcome to the show. Yo, that was the greatest intro of all time like i just want you to chop that up for me d and give it to me and i'll be like excuse me corporate companies for ten thousand dollars look at what you get and just send you in like i need that piece what's going on my brother not even from another mother it's another father mother sister brother you my man what's going on bro listen i'm like i'm excited that you're here because you know when i first started thought about the podcast a while ago i was like you were one of the very first people I thought about, to be honest with you. I was like, man, because for me, you know, I met you six, seven years ago. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I loved about you when I first met you is like, we didn't know each other. We, we chopped it up here and there. We'd see each other in different places. And, you know, I've always heard great things about you. I've always heard like Jay is just the realist, you know, um, he's not somebody who's let this comedy thing or his fame kind of go to his head 
And so when I was thinking about the grind and gratitude show, I'm like, I'm definitely, definitely going to get you on here. So thanks so much yep. for being here. Hey man, this is an absolute pleasure. And you had me from grinding. Like the name alone just was like, yo, Greg, that's that. yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> what we do. Like, right. so when you said it, uh, first of all, you know, hats off to you. I'm not going to take all the fame. I know we play this tennis game and bounce it back and forth. He is absolutely right. All of the listeners and viewers who follow him and watch his books and his motivation, like him and I just keep going back at each other and keeping each other in check. And even if we don't see each other, we check on each other to make sure we good. And I mean, that's been a relationship over the last seven years, as you said, that's just gotten better and stronger. You know what I mean? Where it could be like, yo, can I bounce something off you? And we're going to get the real. So as much as you're saying these nice things about you, I got to reciprocate it because you've been a, an edge stone in the community. You've been coaching people bringing relationships back, keeping it real. People are living vicariously through you. So keep doing what you're doing. And now to expand something you just started this year to go across all these countries with so many people enjoying it and looking forward to it. I'm just honored to be on the team. Oh, man, man. Put me in the game. Man, this guy's trying to make me tear up. But, yo, thank you, man. I really really appreciate that. But you know, you know, let's let's let, let's kind of get into it. So, yeah, I mean, you've been a comedian since what, two thousand and three, right? Correct, correct. About two thousand and three, I officially decided to be a comedian. But let's be real, a comedian is born; it's not created. You feel me? I so, feel so. So, so do so. Did you always know that you were funny, though? Um, it started like I had funny thoughts. I'm not going to lie. I always knew I had funny thoughts. I didn't think I'd be able to deliver those thoughts. I mean, that was garnered through a lot of different stages to get to that stage. Uh, People always go, I want to do this. But it took a long, long time for it to manifest within me to be able to know that's there. Like as a child, I always thought funny things to my cousins. I actually made them laugh a lot till some of them, I got to pee, stop, I got to pee. So they were cousins, but out in the public especially the public I grew up in because I grew up in the church um, from an Adventist background. You know, me and you both know Martine. I know Martine like from she's born, but um, shout outs to the Lopez's. But in that environment, it just kind of not restricted you. It just had everything be, you know, I mean, a holy covenant. So thoughts of comedy, especially then it was like, what do I do? You know what I mean? I was a comedian and a soccer player where the best things I did as a kid And those things had their limit growing up from a religious background. So in my head, I always thought I was a comedian, but I never tranced. I never let it out. And so, you know, that's interesting, you know, coming from your, the sort of religious background that you came from, Mm -hmm. you know, do you, where do you think these, these comedic thoughts came from? Were they things that you saw in the church or were they just things that just randomly were there? Let's be clear here. You want to play soccer as a nine-year-old boy or a 10-year-old boy on a Saturday. And every time you came to school, you know what I mean? You just heard of all the cartoons kids were watching on Saturday, how they played in hockey, baseball, soccer leagues on Saturday, uh, what they were doing. So most of my concepts came from what they were doing. You know what I mean? What are they doing? And when I came back, I, I didn't want to say I sat in the church for the whole day. So I had to create things to be funny, <laughs> to be a part of the people. Do you know what I mean? I was always popular as a child. I don't know why, but I was always, kids always gravitated to me 
what's Jason doing? What's Jason doing? What's he doing? What's he doing? So it always was around me. So I had to tell stories, but it was hard when you didn't have anything doing but church. So, you know, you can tell two church stories, but after that, they was like, so tell us the real thing. So (laughs) my storytelling started early. Wow. I mean, that's, that's great. I think. And so when, when you would get out here and sort of start to tell these stories, would people like, would people start to say like, oh, oh, you're funny and sort of start to prop you up to tell more and more jokes and, and say, hey, you got to come here, Jay, Jason, say this and hear Jason. Right. Was it that kind of environment? No, you nailed that. I'm going to put that in something. If I ever do a book, well, first of all, if I ever do a book, you're the first guy I'm calling because <laughs> you know how to deal with books. I'm going to call you and Dwayne Morgan and be like, it's a Jay Martin book. But that is exactly it. There would be like a kids at school I would tell something to. And they'd go and tell other kids and then I'd have to tell the story again and tell the story again. And I always, even as a child, I'd always tell stories with animation, hand movements, phrases. I would change my voice tones as a kid to imitate my parents and my aunts and my uncles and my cousins from a childhood day. So I was always like, no, I'd be in a group and they'd be like, no, let Jay tell it. Let Jay tell it. Because it came that way. But I'm going to be very transparent with you. In no way, like when I say no way, D, no way did I ever think that this could ever be a job. Like, I didn't even think that existed. Even when I saw some of my heroes in comedy, which I'm sure we'll talk about, I never saw them doing stand-up. You understand what I mean? So I never thought, I never saw stand-up. I never thought stand-up was a thing. Like, nah, not at all. I didn't even know it existed. Like you're watching Sanford and Son. You're watching all these shows with different comedians and movies in them when you got a chance. Never once. I didn't even think Bill Cosby was a comedian. I was like, oh, that's that's Huxtable. But what? He's great. I love him. But you know, I never Jay, knew there was something before. You, that's a great point. You, you, That's a really good point. And I don't know how much people actually think about that because – most of us were introduced to comedy through TV shows and movies. Like when we were growing up, we, we never had access to see people actually perform on a stage. Like we never saw that. So that's an actually interesting point where you look at a comedian, but he was like a movie star, a TV star who was funny. Correct. I mean, every comedian I know that we par with and you know, we're a fraternity. Everybody is there. Uh, all of them, you ask them, how'd you start? They're like, oh man, Carlin and uh, Pryor. And uh, they named them off. Oh, when I saw Eddie Murphy Raw, I was like, this is what I want to do. Like, I didn't see Eddie Murphy Raw until like seven to 10 years after it came out. Oh, wow. Really? Because I wasn't old enough to see it. That stuff wasn't allowed in my house. So I I didn't see Bill Cosby until I was a man. Like, these people doing stand-up, I never saw it, man, because I never, you're right, we saw it through TV because- that stuff just wasn't allowed. Man, that's that's really that's really interesting. So, growing up, then what was your you know what was the thing that you wanted to be? If you never thought of being a comedian was a job, like what was your thing? What did you want to be? To be honest with you, you know, I always had those report cards. I don't know if you got them too. Is Jay Jason is the class clown? Jason <laughs> disrupts <laughs> the other kids. He's working hard. He's trying. Um, all of those things. But I was like, what am I gonna be? Uh, I had. Older brothers, I'm the last of seven siblings. Wow. Um, you know what I mean? I have three older brothers, four older sisters. So I'm like the baby of everything. And I knew I had to do something be- bigger and better, but I didn't know what it was. And when I finally chalked it down, I wanted to be a lawyer. 
I, I thought if I wasn't going to be a lawyer, it would give me an opportunity. I love talking. Uh, I would fool. I would treat. Listen, when you're the class clown from second grade, there's not many teachers jumping out there expecting much from you, especially <laughs> with the era we grew up in. You know what I mean? So they'd come across your desk and whatever you said was always gifted as a joke. So they always assumed that you were going to be in some kind of trade. You know what I mean? And it's funny because my father uh, was an extreme, not even a little extreme carpenter. His precision was in- incredible. He built Laura Secords, part of the CN Tower, wow. um, all those blacks photographies, people's jewelers, all of those in the malls. They shut them doors in the malls. He's in there till, till the end of the night, making everything like tight. So he was always that kind of guy. And I, I failed woodworking. <laughs> I, was, I was not even, I did it to try. I remember taking drafting and I was like, this ain't gonna work. Like I'm dropping this class week two. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, this isn't gonna work. It's just not gonna work. And my parents um, divorced when I was young, um, when I was five. So I, of course, lived with my mother and my mother was a prolific cook. Um, unbelievable. So when you talk about this hustle and grind, like, I know, I know we'll get into it, but that's where it started for me. Like everyone, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be so open, transparent here. Cause this is, this is why it feels at home. So I wanted to be, every kid wants to be like their dad, you know what I mean? But I didn't have those skills. I'm not a, I'm not a tradesman. I'm just not a tradesman. But my mom, and I didn't even know this till I was later, my brother told me, my mom walked with a limp. Like she had like a limp. It's like her toe kind of turned in when she walked. And if I can describe it, it's kind of like Usual Suspects. You've seen the movie Usual Suspects? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How he walked? That's how my mother walked. But I thought that's just something that happened to her while she walked that way. It wasn't until I was older that my brother told me it was when I was born there's a way I laid on her pelvis that caused that to happen. Wow. So when I when he told me that, I think I was about what twelve. Whoa! And he was like, I was like, man, I run fast when I play soccer. Like I'm, all my friends know, zero to fifty, ain't nobody catch me. Fifty one, they gonna catch me. Fifty one, they gonna catch fifty one yards. Oh, they're gonna catch me. Zero to fifty, he's flying. Forty nine, got him. It's like got him. Um, and I was like, why am I so fast? Like, you know what I mean? Because my mom walks with a limp. You see your dad walking. You don't see that much athleticism. My dad was tall, but he really have athleticism. So why am I flying? And they're like, mom used to win races. And I was like, really? But she's like, they're like, when you were born. I'm like, what? So I felt that internalized feeling that I did it. You get what I mean? And it was a lot to bear because I was like, what? So the of course, my boy and his mom are close, but there's an extra closeness. So when I heard that and mom's was like, go upstairs and get this, go downstairs and get that. I more got it because I had to. And because she was so prolific in the kitchen, it was me and her. You understand what I mean? So when we and her are doing the things and we're cooking and baking, I didn't even know. So what happened with the injury, it caused her to lose her job by the time I was in middle school. So she was like a stay-at-home mom. And I'm not even thinking it because as kids, we don't know when the mortgage is paid. Right, right. But she's hustling. She's hustling. And I mean, to the levels of guys are coming, restaurants are coming from Rochester, New York to Canada to buy like 500 beef patties. Are you serious? 
And she's like making each patty and I'm kneading them out and I'm putting the fork to make them round. Like wow. system running. But I'm just thinking that's how everyone's house is. Right. You understand what I mean? I never knew, you know what I mean? So now she's like, here, practice this because I got 19 cakes and I need you to, to ice in them. So I'm icing cakes. I'm I'm making bun. Wow. I'm selling bun at school. Like I walk you to grade four teachers. You're you're where are you from? I'm from Trinidad. You want to buy bun? You're eight dollars. <laughs> my mom taught me hustle oh, man. Young without me knowing hustle. So I'm sitting here going, I gotta help, but it's just what our thing is to do. And she'd throw partners, she'd make bun, she'd make cakes, but like at a high level, D, high wow. level. So by the time I'm like 16, and it's unfortunate because my mom had cancer. Uh, from the time I was 15 to 16. And it's like she knew, so she taught me how to make all these things. So a lot of people were like, how do you learn to cook? But she just didn't want her son, when she's gone, to not have nothing to eat. You know what I mean? That's amazing. So it's straight hustle. And she taught me all these things early. So now as a kid, like, I'm good now. Right. But I was great then. Because the ice... (laughs) There's a story I'm going to give you, and I told your listeners are going to love this story because they can relate to the people. Um, uh, there's an actor by the name, oh man, you're gonna know him. He's in Book of Book of Negroes. He's a Canadian actor. Lyric, Lyric Ben. Oh, yes, yes. Okay, so Lyric Ben's wife went to church with me as okay. a kid. And I had a big crush on her. Big crush. Big, <laughs> big crush. I hope she sees this. And I hope she's <laughs> lyric. Trust me, I didn't have your wife, but I liked your wife. <laughs> and so and it's gonna be fun with us, D. We we no, of course, it up. of course. We're chopping it up. And um, I had a big crush on her, and I ended up saying, Yo, yo, I need you to come to my house and I'll make you whatever you want. And she was like, Okay. Why don't you make um, cheesecake? I like cheesecake. I'm like, all right. I like Black Forest cake. And I don't remember the third one. It was Black Forest cheesecake. I think lemon meringue pie. But all of these things, I'm firing them off. And my mom had already passed and left me her her baking equipment. So I'm flying. I'm flying. And I'm doing anything to get her. And um, I sent her home with like pieces of these three cakes. And she's like, they're amazing. Really? Um, I open and I'm like, oh, man, you like it? You like it? And, you know, we just want that kiss. You know of what course, I mean? Of course. That's all you want. That, this is, <laughs> I, I don't make 300 cakes for a kid. <laughs> like, Whoa, that's a lot for a kiss. <laughs> but it's the 80s. And funny enough, she goes, um, we get to the mall. And the mall used to have these... Um, the, the, the kiosks in the middle of the mall and you could get a phone book in there. Remember we used to write them girls numbers in the oh, phone. Yeah, book. for sure. Pulls up the little tiny miniature one. And she goes to the guy, can you put two names on this phone book? And I was like, damn. Wow. Okay. And she wrote, and I'll never forget this. She wrote, I won't say her name. I'll save that, but we know it's Lyric Ben's wife, but she wrote her name loves Rudy. And I was like, no, but my name is, Oh no! I was like, "Who is this Rudy guy?" (laughs) That's what she was taking the cake for. (laughs) Yo, so I'm on the search for this Rudy guy because I just can't believe three cakes didn't win, D. Man, cakes didn't win. Wow! And uh, I found the Rudy guy in uh, Rexdale. He went to the school Naki, and my cousin went to Naki. And I'm like, I need to see this guy. Like, I need closure. This was like a funeral. <laughs> I need closure. Need closure. How old were you at that? T- How old uh, were you? 
I was like 18, 17, wow. like 18 to 17. So I take the bus to Rexdale where lives get lost easily. And uh, <laughs> I stomached it. I went to the school and my cousin is there and um, my cousin is there and he's like, yo, all right, he's coming. He's coming. And I see this guy walk by a skinny guy. He's got a Michael Jackson jacket on. He has like natural curls, not Jerry's. You can tell the difference between Jerry's and Naturals. Wow. <laughs> he had natural curls, but skinny guy walks by. And I'm like, that dude in the Michael Jackson jacket? <laughs> and he was like, yeah. And then five minutes later, this cute girl walks by with a little tint in her hair. And I'm like, oh, like, who that? And Who's my that? cousin hits the floor, like, dying with laughter. Because I was I would crack him up all the time. <laughs> uh, and Dave goes, I'm going, why are you laughing? What's wrong with her? He goes, that's dude's sister. So that's Rudy's sister. Oh. And we've been married for over 20 years now. Wow, man. That's an amazing story. Is that serious? That is crazy. It's funny how the world turns. It just ended up. Now, don't get me wrong. I didn't end up chopping her then. I met her like years later. But it's the funniest thing. I could tell the story at the wedding and yeah, man, it's good. It's man, good. man you, you you said like all kinds of, you unpack a whole bunch of things in there. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I love I was, that. I just had to let it go because the story, the story just flowed. It no, it, it did flow. I mean, that's amazing that that's how you met your, 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 your wife. And yeah. you know, the other part too, about your mom's hustle and her grind reminds me a lot of my mom and my grandma, you know, single, single um, moms, especially black moms, they just figure things out. And I know I get a lot of my hustle from my mom as well. My mom wasn't, you know, she wasn't this great cook. I get all of that from my grandma, but I, I, both of them together just had this grind. And when you were saying that, I was just like, man, your mom just sound like there was this amazing woman. So while you were like in the kitchen with her, were, were all your siblings in the kitchen too? Or was it, no. was it just, just you, just no. you two? No, because they're, they're up and doing their things. A lot of them, of course, they moved out. They didn't live there. They were older. And the one brother that's above me, which a lot of people know about, which we can transition to as to where this entertainment world comes from, is my brother, Devin, which everyone might know him as Mr. Metro, profound rapper, Juno Award winner, a musical genius. Like my brother was all of that, can play all instruments. So when we're in the kitchen, he's got drums downstairs, keys downstairs, socks downstairs. Like he played everything. And I was just like, I hate you. You understand what I mean? Because you play everything, but like he was the man. And when he wasn't playing, he was outside skateboarding or BMXing. You know what I mean? Right. And he's too old for her to make go to church. So (laughs) it was me and her making, but like so many things that come easy for me in the kitchen. I have my best, one of my best friends, Carrie goes, every time we go somewhere, they're like, Jake can cook. And he has to break them down and go, he's a better cook then he is a comedian and we all know I'm a damn good kid. Oh, you're, yeah. You're, you're. <laughs> so that's the level it gets to. So even within I'll cheat and I'll say, even with some of the writing that we're doing in terms of the sitcom we're working on, some of those elements of what I want to bring into there come into this, this cooking world. And as a businessman grinding, I figure if we go to season one and episodes are good season two, hopefully it transitions into a restaurant. Um, right before she passed, she purchased a restaurant with her best friend and another cook. And it was in the mall, Malton Westwood Mall. So she they, they went to buy a kiosk wow. to work out and rent a kiosk. 
and she didn't make it to get there. So oh, my next door neighbor, who was her, her other cook, they opened the restaurant and you know what I mean? It was still a family oriented thing, but the grind just kept going until she couldn't go anymore. You know what I mean? Pancreatic cancer got her. So I love the fact that where you bring it from your grandmother and your, your mother, that's who teach us that hustle. It's true. And you know, the thing too, Jay, is like, as you're talking, I'm already seeing how you became this renaissance man. Like, dude, your brother's a musical genius. You got the music side, you got the comedy yeah. side, you get this from yeah. your mom. I'm sure you got things from your older siblings. Like, it's yeah. like you just take bits and pieces just, from all it, of these it's things. It's dropping like tree branches, to be honest with you. And here's a here's a pear, here's a plum, here's a peach. And that, I, I'd like to say, is where the stage element came. Yeah. So when my brother got signed to Capitol Records, he had the big song, Mr. Metro, which, you know, 35 years ago, yeah. talk about the police brutality that yeah. dealt upon our people in Canada. He put out this video. It went viral back then before viral came viral. And uh, that got him the deal. And, and he had the grace. And I always thank him for this, for putting me in the bag. So I did background vocals in the band. That's where the singing comes from. I had like the band was crazy when it started. It had it had Deborah Cox, Glenn Lewis doing some bits. Uh, then Deborah got signed, so we had Simone Denny, another profound house singer to the extreme. Um, we had the best bass player in Oren Isaacs. We had all of the top people in the band, we were the Black Eyed Peas before the Black Eyed Peas. Wow, you know that's I mean? amazing. So when we put it out and the album came out, um, it was great singing backgrounds and going on tour and learning from them at an early age. Like I was the only kid in high school that would leave high school to go to much music wow. and come back and play dominoes. So I had that joy of doing that with my brother, you know what I mean? And getting stage presence. So a lot of people don't even know when I started comedy finally, like why does this guy have so much stage presence and moves through the ranks so quickly, but he would like you before I come on, you're on. So you're like, everybody, let's get on this one. Like I'm the guy who intros him. So you're the so hype man. Be, you're the right, hype man. The, hype man the, the bass runs, the ba da ba ba. I know all these pauses, musical notes. Like I can't play, I can play a piano, a little tune here and there, but I knew everything about breaks, starts, harmonies, uh, stops. Uh, you know, when you go back out, sorry, encores, I knew all of that, how to build them up from going on tour with him for two years. So wow, it was a great experience to learn stage presence. So when comedy came, you, you, you're going to ask me about my first time. Well, I am. So, you know, I mean, that that's where we're going. But that, that's, that's, you know, one of the biggest um, things that you see or one of the biggest things that you hear about new comedians is their stage presence. It, it's it's like it's like um an artist, you know, when somebody first becomes a hip hop artist or an R&B or any genre, one of the biggest things they always have to work on is their stage presence. So you already came with that. So what was like, talk about your first experience on stage as a comedian. Like, what was that? When was it? Let, let us know a little bit about <laughs> I, that. I, I know the day. I know where, when, how. I know it all. Um, it's it's at the York Event Theater at Young and Eglinton. And uh, is it Young and Eglinton? It was that? York Event Theater. Yeah, it was a really nice place. And um, it was huge. It was a dinner and dining. Uh, KLC had put it on. He got Russell Peters to host it. And he knew me growing up in Malton that I had chops. I was killing people at the basketball courts and basketball games and just making people die in the stands. I had jokes 
for days at, right. at basketball games. Right. So um, he he was like, yo, you ready? We're going to put you on. And one of my boys had earlier given me two weeks. He's like, this is bullshit. You crack us up all the time. You got two weeks. We're inviting friends and family to watch you do jokes. So I did. So that wasn't really a show. To me, it was just your friends and family just right. going, yeah, Jay. So Come this is my first yeah. public show. It's June, um, I think 2003. And uh, I get on the stage. I'm, I'm backstage and I'm so nervous. It's got BET comedians. It's hosted by Russell. Wow. And I'm I'm one of the opening acts. And I'm like, I want to vomit. Like people <laughs> trust me, that stomach feeling. And they're like, just go get it out. Like, go get it out. But it wouldn't come out. Like, I'm putting fingers down my throat. It's not wow. coming out. And I'm just like, maybe I should just not do this. Like, not do this. And uh, Russell introduces me. And I come out. And it's nervous energy. Like, I'm coming out to reggae. And I'm dancing. And it's nervous energy. And then I hear my brother yelling, tighten up the stage. And I command it. Like, so I'm like, all over. I'm rah, rah. And I dismount, and to my surprise, it's standing ovation. Wow. It's like everyone is off their feet screaming because they're like, who the hell is this guy? That's amazing. And my dis- I'm planning it like I'm planning when my brother would do band rehearsals. Like, we knew segues. Like, when I watch bands play now, just to stick a pin, and they're like, thank you. That was a great song. Our next song is... I'm like, who are you? Right. Because the only way I've been taught is to transition. Right. Like a like a DJ mixing. So my jokes would transition that way. I would make sure that if I'm going to talk about my dad beating us, it uh, my then my mom started. She never really beat us because it had to flow into there. Right. She would just say things. Have you messed up for weeks? And then it would like transfer into that. And then I would be like, I couldn't go out. And then I would talk about church. And then I would talk about my ending. Growing up in Malton, it was a big dismount. I did it for like 10 years. Wow. And every time I did it for 10 years, it got a standing ovation. So Jeez. you're starting, and the joke is a killer because I would wear um, Indian clothes under my clothes. Right. So I'd have to wear them tabs. You can wear baggy clothes, <clears throat> all this tight stuff we be wearing now. Right, it's right. Kind of tight. It's kind of friendly now. <laughs> but um, yeah, you have baggy clothes, so they would just see me performing for like 20 minutes and then i would be like yo i have an indian next door neighbor and we'd watch cartoons at his house or my house he'd give me samosas i'd give him patties and we'd watch uh tv when we got to asian horizons we would see the people indian dancing behind the tree and i'm like can i get comfortable with you and show you how it went down they're like comfortable Hell yeah, and I'm taking off my clothes, and they didn't know this whole time <laughs> that you had magic. Done. This is like my first set, wow. <laughs> and I take off my clothes, and there's an Indian outfit. The whole thing, I put on the Indian shoes. Wow! Like I committed. I had a bungra hat. That is a commitment. The beat, the beat comes in, and I'm throwing it down. I'm <laughs> I'm throwing it down, and the crowd is just like, "You got to be kidding me!" Because if we're black people and we see a white guy throwing it down, we like rating him just because he's a white guy throwing it down. That's right. We didn't think that black to brown would convert that That's way. That's right. It hit. Wow! And Russell turned to me, and he was like, "Yo." When'd you start? Because I ain't heard of you. And I'm like, today, like, <laughs> he's like, man, stop shitting me. I go, today. He goes, you, you really got to be kidding me. And he goes, I said, I swear on a Bible today. And the place was at least 800 people in there. 
Wow. Was the like, first oh, show was 800 people? Yeah, first show That's, was 800 That is no, crazy. No, if, no ads, no buts. You know, some people like have 300, but they say eight. No, facts. It had Russell Peters and BT comedians on a Saturday night. It was it was, it was was June on a Saturday night. Like, I was wow. like, fuck this. It was packed. That's why I was so nervous. And he goes, I'm going to call you. I'm going to bring you to Montreal with me. And I was like, okay, bet. And he never called. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> Russell, Dude, Russell, where you at, Russell, Russell? Russell, I called him the number. He's like, here's my number. Take my number. I will call you. Never answered the phone. Never called. And he said the gig was October. And from June to October, I called this dude. He never answered once. <laughs> and the day before, he's like, so you ready to roll the ball? I'm like, dude, wow. I didn't even think we're doing this. He's like, so I'm like, so I meet you at the airport. Because as you know, I was corporate. I was a big corporate head at that time. I was working at a telecommunication company. I'd worked my way all the way up to a high-valued manager, director. And I was working like with the president and all the rich people. Like I had wow. a black card. I would go to concert shows, wow. golf tournaments with all of the top, top shatas of, of the company. So but wait a second. Wait, you're working in the corporate world. <laughs> The corporate world by day with this high level position in a telecommunications company. High. Right. Yeah. And then yeah. by night you go put on the cape and become this like super comedian. Bunger like, dancer. The Renaissance like, man. Don't ask me why they call me the Renaissance man. Ain't nobody else doing that. Wow. So I'm thinking we're flying to Montreal. You know what I mean? Like what time do I meet you at the airport? Do you want me to get my flight? Like, and he's like, flight? We're driving. And I'm like, oh, Oh, I've not done that before. <laughs> I have never driven to Montreal before, but it was the greatest drive ever. It was a five-hour um, drive or so, right? Yeah, and it was me, him, and I met John Paul that day okay. in the car. So, man, the three of us politicked for five hours, cracked jokes, and that was it for me. That was when I was like, yeah, yeah, I, I want to do this. But I'm coming from that lifestyle where... I'm getting paid very well. Uh, I have tickets to anything I want. Like I'm, I'm phones. I'm doing whatever. I'm dealing with high level people. I did a, a piece with um, Pinball Clemens. You might have seen on my Instagram, but he was he was one of the people that I used to talk to at this high corporate level job. And I was like, man, how do I go from there to what these guys are doing? Like, I see Russell making money, but I don't know if John Paul's making that kind of money. And am I going to make that money? I just started this year. Right. And it was a great year. Like in terms of I won uh, Comedian of the Year, New Comedian wow. of the Year, um, Fastest Rising. I got a lot of articles. That's and great. then um, I got into the Halifax Comedy Festival. Wow. Within the first six months, I headlined at Yuck Yucks by the December. So my first show was June and I headlined by December. And Man, then that's like... Who's man, this I got to give you a round of applause. Like that is crazy, man. That's that's crazy to like ah. acceleration, and yeah. you know. But then it becomes that you have a decision to make, and I know a lot of people listening are at this crossroads too. They are. It's like they're thinking about this this other thing, or maybe starting a side hustle, or they've had a little bit of success with something, but then they still got their full time gig. And your full time gig was like this really prominent position where you had access to all of these different perks of the job. And then you did this comedy thing and you know, you, you might've only known one person, Russell who was making money. So 
like what was the deciding factor to make this the is, transition from the corporate world to comedy when you didn't even know too many people making money doing it? D, this, if anybody listens to any part of this podcast, this is where you turn it up. This is where you like put the drink down and listen. Um, it is going to be the hardest decision, and you and I both know this, that anyone else can make. It's like saying, hey, here's your king-size bed with your duvet, and you're going to go live in the forest. You might make it. You might live a wonderful life because in the forest, there's this million-dollar cottage that you might find. Right. You got to sleep out at the cottage for a while until you get to this cottage. I mean, sleep on the floor until you get this cottage. And that's the decision. So I fought with that decision, I'd say, for about three years. Okay. Three years. So from that time for about three years, I was doing both. There were times where Russell would pick me up at lunchtime, lunchtime, and I would go to Seneca and do lunch shows with him and open for him and um, come back to work and sign in and do whatever I want. You know what I mean? It was kind of like that. But I was like, man, I want this. And what really helped me make these decisions, there were pluses and negatives. Uh, The pluses were on that same show we're going to Seneca, they're calling him on the drive there. And he's saying, hey, um, they're like, Russell, we offer you $5,000 more if you do another show because we're sold out. And he was like, no, you all got me out of my bed. I don't even get up this early. I'm not taking it. I'm doing this thing and I'm leaving. And I'm like, Russ, we can chill there. Five grand? Yeah, exactly. You know, the phone is in the car and everyone's going to get out the old phone. And he was like, you're going to do that too. You, you're going you're gonna to turn down money because you're going to be like, nah, I'm not going to do it around your way. I'm going to do it my way. And that was one of the pluses that had the freedom that he started to develop early before he was like Russell Russell. And I was like, yeah, I want to be like that because I'm like that in the corporate world, but I need to be like that in this world. Mm-hmm. But there were a lot of things, and I'm going to make sure people are listening right now. There's there's times when you guys, and I'll know this, we all got into a job where we knew we had to be there, let's say, 9 o'clock. And we're sitting in the parking lot at, at, at 8.50. And you know it takes you seven minutes to get to your desk and log in. And now it's three minutes or two minutes that you're like, I got to walk. You're hating it. Yeah. You're sitting in the parking lot and going, I hate this. There's a manager that's in there that gets on your nerves that wants you to do action plans and make sure you make a certain amount of phone calls or your login time has to come up and you're just like, man, I hate this place. And don't get me wrong. I had a lot of hate this places, which drive me up the ladder quicker. Right. That's one of the first black, like one of the first black guys to be working alongside the president and all of these people. And there were little points that divided my way, like the president himself, and this is more personal, but then I'll go holistically for everyone listening. Uh, the president moved on to, to do a Starcom satellite business uh, to be a president, you know how they be moving the presidents around. Of course. Yes. I was in Denver and he turned to me and he was like, Jay, you know, there's a junior VP position for you if you want to go to Denver. And I was like, ah, I can't go to Denver. Yeah. But when he left, and I'm not even I'm unapologetic with this, uh, the company brought in uh, a new president, and the president had a French background. I don't speak French, you know what I mean? Right. And I'm black. And right. I honestly believe the corporation didn't like that a black man had that kind of power. 
I was controlling the highest volume of people that purchased with Bell that weren't a company. You understand what I mean? So individuals that were balling, they were on my list. And he was like, what is and I'm not saying that's what he said, right? But I'm saying that's how it felt. You know, the what I energy, mean? the energy that was around energy, it was why right? does this energy. black guy have these big corporate accounts, credit cards, like number of them. You know what I mean? Season tickets to to Jay's, Leafs. I mean, you know, raps. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I was like, man, I, I can't stand this. So it was like they demoted me within the job. You understand what I mean? And I was like, I, I want to jump. I want to jump. And I saw them doing some layoffs. And I walked up to them and I was like, hey, man, I don't need someone to tap me on the shoulder and be like, you're out of here. My pride is too big. I work too hard. So the next round, holla at me. Holla at me. Let me, let you me know. What I mean? So let you asked them to let you go. You asked them to I let asked you them out. basically, like, the next time you're doing it, like, let me know. Let me know the day. Don't be creeping up on me. Let me clear out my stuff. And I did. And I said to myself, I had enough people in that database that I took care of that if three weeks ever passed that I didn't have a gig or a show, um, I would call one of those people to try to get a job. Right. So for everyone listening, like you can jump, but have a, have, have a safety net yeah. or a parachute. Three, six you know months, I mean? save up six, you know, three right, to six months. Right. Um, have a you know. parachute. Don't just jump. Like Steve Harvey says that we need to jump in order to fly, but like, like be realistic, have at least a parachute. You That's, know, what, I That's what I did. You got to, you got to. Well, well, Jay, you know, you and I have a lot of similarities when it came to that, because I came from the corporate world. I used to manage training and do talent management, performance management. And what happened was, is I, I was good at what I did, but I was really well liked. And I used to work closely with the, the president and I'd be in the middle of the organization. So I worked with everybody in the organization and I helped, you know, the, the executives translate like, what it what is what the real strategy is in down throughout the organization and the same thing happened to me i was working for this company um the the vp vice president of human resources who was my boss's boss yeah. just didn't like the fact that i was well liked and people would always say these the, the the president would come down like danny's presentation was great or this or that and she didn't like it and and would always just say these little things that there were really nothing. Right. Right. And so one day um, my boss comes to me, who's her boss. And she says, yeah, this is going to sound really stupid, but um, my boss has a problem with you leaving your black suit jacket on the back of your chair. It came down to that. And, wow, that and petty? That, that's how petty it was. And I, in, in my first book, uh, you have the keys now drive. I tell a story about the black jacket. And I say, we all have this black jacket. That moment right there was when I knew it was time for me to leave. One, I faced a lot of, you know, systemic racism. We couldn't move up. They're trying to handcuff you. And then my work was so good that that's the only thing that she could find that Danny leaves his black jacket on the back of his chair. And I don't like that. So one, I said to my boss, why didn't she say that to me? Because I was always the person that had a, a side hustle and different things going on. So I didn't right. really care about a job. I didn't, right. I didn't care about getting terminated. So from that moment on, I crafted my plan. I start, I started my own training company. I had five people working for me. My name was nowhere on the company. I would go and secure the contracts, have people working and nobody knew except for the five people working for me. And so exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I, I crafted a plan from that day on. 
I stacked up enough money for eight or nine months. And then um, I wrote my first book. It came out on Amazon. And then I went in and said, I- I'm out of here. I quit. And so I, we, I have a lot of similarities to your story. <laughs> no, because while we're telling each other those stories, the listeners are just going, oh, nice. But we're like, we're walking through knowing what that felt like. Like that walk through whatever the call center is, like they're just walking the struts and you're hearing, that's the guy. Like we're giving our people hope, but we're giving their people fear because we walk with such a swag, such confidence. Like, Everyone knew who I was there with such confidence, Steve, such confidence, confidence to the point is this. I'm going to tell you something's going to blow your mind when I left. And this is going to be a movie I put out. This is going to be a podcast I put out. I've been holding this for a while because I want to get more known because I know I'm blessed. I know I'm famous, but I want to be like famous, famous where they got to put a big cap on it. And they're going to have to write me a check because what happened is I left and then I got a phone call. So now I'm doing the comedy. I got a phone call like two, three weeks later to perform at a function they were doing. It was from another black manager. And he was like, I want you to perform at this function. And I'm like, man, three grand. Everything to me was three, five grand. And it was like, <laughs> cool. So I was yeah. like, three grand. And he was like, all right, we got that. Okay. And I'm like, good, we'll do it. And they, 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 the guy ended up blocking all the entrances to the building with my picture on it to say, come watch me. Wow. Now he was forming something bigger than I even thought of or even heard about. Wow. So my boy, that was another manager called me like, dude, you setting these guys up? And I'm like, setting them up for what? Like, now nah, I'm just coming to tell some jokes. They're like, nah, they think you coming with a like hostile takeover. And I'm like, nah, nah. They, so my phone rings, private caller. Can we meet you somewhere? I'm like, sure. And they meet me at this hotel lobby. And they're like, how much to meet you there? And I'm like, how? So what do I give them the same three grand? Three grand. Right. And a dude shows up, hands me an envelope with three grand. Are you serious? I swear to you. And he says to me, so how much to not go to this, this show? And I was like, what? So I'm in my head, I'm like, these two ain't talking. Right. But it's the same corporation. And Manny, I go nuts. I start writing off stuff. I'm like, um, first and foremost, I need 10 grand. And they're like, okay, okay, cash. And I'm like, 10 grand to not perform. And it was like, no, 13. Remember, I just got three. Right. So you need another and 10. Wow. They were like, okay, anything else? And I was like, um, yeah, my salary. I'm going to need that to run for about a year. Waiting to hear, dude, you lost your mind. And they're like, okay, okay, anything else? I was like, what? My phone free for the rest of my life. And they're like, okay, okay. Anything else? Are you kidding me? D, D, I'm not kidding. When this comes out as a movie, just get ready to know who's going to Oh, my God, this is crazy. And I was like, because remember, we're feeling what we, you and I were feeling. Of course. Black coat black card yeah and now i'm just throwing shit out and i'm not even creative because i'm so ashamed of myself because i should have said one million Mm -hmm. because whatever it is they didn't want me at was worth that much but i didn't know what was worth that much i had no clue what they were doing um um my wife was working there she was working a job and i was like hey man she's untouchable 
for the next 10 years. Like, wow. I, this is just throw because you know how we were. We yeah, were, we're just like, oh, you, you, you're just throwing things off the wall. You're like thinking on the fly, like, yeah, okay, I, yeah I, this, this, and, and, and. Don't touch her for 10 years. Don't like let me go. And then all of a sudden, next week, she got. And I was, and they were like, okay, cool. And dude, they were like, we're going to give you three out of the four that you asked for. And the only thing they didn't give me was the cell phone free for the rest of the Wow. <laughs> and it's funny because, dude, I, I gave people phones. So I opened up accounts. I could do what I want. So I was like, I'm just going to do that anyway. You'll never right. <laughs> So I'm good with that. Man, and, you, are, uh, you negotiated yeah. all of that on but the fly. it was fly. like this, though, D, on, like on the fly. And they gave me everything else. So that six month that you had, I really had a year of my salary coming to me, bonuses, like all of that coming to me while I was edging in this stuff. And I was like, performing is not enough. I got to build an empire. I got to do my own shows. I got to produce my own shows because I know a lot of people. So people that are listening, when you want to jump, it's a driveway that's in you that it meant for survival. You've got to treat this like the show survivor. You've got to be like, if I lose... I lose everything. Not, I want to try to be a DJ. There's a thousand, a million DJs. Why are you a good DJ? There's a million comedians. Why are you a good one? Because I don't, I'm one of the only comedians that's doing this for since 2003 till now. It's like 17 years that has never been signed to Yuck Yucks. I've never been signed to Absolute. I've never been signed to a comedy club ever. I've never even done one i've never opened middle all of the things i hear these guys had to go through i've never done it in always seven been your, you've years. always done your own shows i've always done my own man because i i bet on me and i hear these guys say it because fred van Vick does it this is a different bet on me this is a i gotta survive i did a lot of things i didn't want to do i managed singing groups i tried singing in a group i tried all this stuff we tried and failed at we tried but now You've acquired skills to know music. Like I walk into any music rehearsal with my band. No one will tell me nothing because the band's like, he knows his stuff. He might not play all these instruments, but he knows that was off. Like, cause you've been in the experience. You Jake, we got, we got to pause. We got to pause go, because go, go. you said so much. Like I, you, I think people, what, if you're listening right now, you have to understand this. You can't be half in on something. Now, you can explore different things until you find the thing that you think is your gift or your talent or you want to passionately pursue. But once you find that thing, there's no I should do this or I'm kind of going to. You have to make that thing a must. I am going to pursue this with all of my effort. I'm going to go all in. Even Even if you're working a job, you go to work, you're nine to five, and then you're you're six to six to twelve is you working on your craft. And I think that is the thing that we have to understand. You have to go all in. And so what, what that means is you have to be clear about what you want, why it's important, and then the how is going to come. Yeah. Right? And that's what I hear you saying. You knew that comedy was your thing, but you did all these other things. You managed the band. You did all these odd jobs because why? You're focused on your what? Trust me. Right? Trust me. It's it's exactly the same thing. So when we get to that level, 
and you've gotten all of that training that you've been through for everyone who does any craft or any career, they have to go through training. We put ourselves through that rigorous training. Do you understand what I mean? So when I walk in to an audition and I'm seeing people that are there, their story is like, and again, a lot of them got to go to Yuck Yucks and watch them work their way up or whatever they went to. They had to have they had to have been on a Jay Martin show or just wondered why this guy has stage presence. And that's what got me into the just for laughs. That's what got me into the the thing. It wasn't some agent that told them, hey, he's good, or we've seen him through the ranks. And that's what they do. They pick their homegrowns, their favorites. And that's why a lot of times people come to me and go, Jay, why, why are you not in just for laughs? How this dude get in just for laughs? There's a lot of unfunny people when you turn on that TV. Sure, Trust me, you turn it on and you're like, how did this person get here? Right. And I'm like, I watch it all the time with my family and it's not a hating game. It's like, I could eat them if they told me come now, like drive here now, I'll right. eat that guy. Right. And I'll riff and eat that guy, not, yeah. not write this thing out. And I'm sitting here going, how's this happening? But it's the structure. And you know what's gonna, I'm going to say? They say the who you know. Well, why can't we be the who you know? Right. D, yeah. why can't we be the who you know? We can be. Exactly. Start your own. Like, exactly. You, you, Tyler Perry did it. You know, people people no. laugh. Tyler Perry's trying to get in. Oh, that, nobody wants to see a, no. that guy. Okay, cool. I'll just quietly no. keep, keep, doing, my, keep no. doing my plays. And next thing you know, he has the biggest, you know, sound studio in, in America, right? You know and what's so, so funny? That's um, what I'm hearing from you. I'm glad you, you, you brought his name up because the man, if you are me or you, you can't, don't have a choice. But to rate him, appreciate him, and kind of kind of revere him because he is the man. Mm-hmm. Whether you like or watch a Medea movie, whether you're not into men wearing dresses, whatever, don't touch his his grind and hustle. Yes, it's one of the best in history. Yes, we will see a Tyler Perry story movie. Oh. It's not maybe; it's a for sure. Yeah. If I'm watching Frankie Lyman's life story, we're gonna hear about a, a, a Tyler Perry story, and that's the guy. Yeah. Like those are why people do the J. Martin, Steve Harvey thing because uh, I, I I wanted to be that guy. You understand right. what I mean? I I wanted to be that Canadian version of Steve Harvey that you didn't have a choice. Like you have to pick me. Right. You have to yeah. like. You you picking somebody else, you're making a wrong move. Like that's the way I kept going on my career. And even when I met Steve Harvey, um, open for him was supposed to open for him. That experience was surreal to me right. because this is what we got to teach us, especially as Black people, that we're all kings. And the reason why I say this is because I made the mistake, and I'm going to say this: people don't make this mistake. You might be watching Danny, and you're watching Jay. And you want to be just like us. No, be the version of you that works as hard as yeah. us. Don't yeah. be the next Jay yeah. or Danny Stone. Don't be right. that. Be the next version of you that works as hard as us. Like how we want to be like, work as hard as, as Tyler Perry. So now I'm working on doing that. And I want to be Steve Harvey. Right. I'm dressing in suits. I'm wearing the hats. I'm talking the clothing lines. I want to be, I'm reading his books. And then I meet him. Like, it's the day. It's the day where it's Jay Martin and Steve Harvey. We're down at the Sheraton Center. And um, they got 15 minutes for me. And I'm going to make it work. I'm signed to a corporate sponsor. 
Mm-hmm. I'm tell you the amount because I'm not ashamed. You're my boy. I hide nothing from you. Um, good, bad, or ugly. And I have a corporate deal for 75K for a year and a half okay. for corporation as a sponsor. Right. So here's a man roughing it up. I got a sponsor for 75K for a year and a half. Nice. The sponsor is sitting front row. They bought like 15 to 20 tickets at like 800 a pop wow wow and what um, year was this when was this i'd have to look it up that's okay that's all right i'm thinking it might be i know it wasn't it might be i know 2010 i did something with cedric and i want to say it's like four years after that 2013 2013 2014 okay okay and um i'm like yo they buy the first thing all i have to say when i come up to do my set is shout out to my sponsor. These guys, they're the greatest. Look out for them and rip 10 minutes of jokes. And he sends, Steve Harvey sends a guy to me and goes, uh, Steve Harvey wants to know uh, how long you doing. I'm like, you guys said 15. He's like, nah, he, he don't want you to do 15, do 10. And I'm like, ah, in my head, I'm like, I got to chop away this, 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 this. But ah, all right, all right. And he comes back in about 10 minutes and he's like, are you doing 10? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, well, Steve Harvey, why don't you do five? Wow. Five. Wow. What the hell am I do for five? Jeez. Is that me? So now we're in dressing rooms behind stage together and I can move the curtain and see him. You know what I mean? So I'm like, I can go through the curtain or I can go around and open the door like a gentleman and go talk to him because we're comedians Let's talk. Let's let, tell me what you want me to do. Like, right. tell me if you want me to go light, <laughs> want me to go heavy. Right. Tell me if you don't even want me to tell no jokes, just thank people. I'm a host. I'm you. Like, I, I've emulated my life to be like you. You know what I mean? And uh, I said, no, I'm not going to open the curtain because he's going to be like, who this dude? I'm going to go around, knock the door, go in, and I'm like, hello, Mr. Harvey. Uh, I'm going to be introducing you. And a guy as big as your house, <laughs> literally. Like I ain't never seen a dude this big. Walks over, is like, "What are you doing?" And I'm like, "Sir, <laughs> um, what he wants me to do, I'm opening." And and I don't want to be step on no toes. We're comedians. We know. It's like, can you get back? And you can't talk. But through the whole time, he was pacing, like terrified pacing, like. It was just March, 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 March. And I was so shocked because I'm like, dude, you've been on at least 5,000 stages. Like, how are you this nervous? We are all nervous, D. Don't let nobody fool you. You come check me before the show. I'm like, hey, what's up, dude? But I'm really like, oh, my God, I got to know what I'm doing. We're all scared. If you're not scared anymore, you shouldn't be doing this. Right. And um, he was like, he just looked at me and just kept pacing. Pacing, and I went back into my office. I'm like, okay, I don't even know what joke to kill him with because I don't even know if he wants me to kill. Right. The guy comes back and goes, "Hey, man, you're not doing no time. You you nope. just introduce him." Wow. And I'm like, okay. Now I'm done. No jokes. I'm just gonna thank my sponsor <laughs> and introduce him. Would you believe the guy came back with a security guard, like looking like a cop, like security guard one more time. I was like, yeah, you're not introducing them. Is this a problem? And I was like, what? What? Yeah. So I'm backstage. That's all those pictures that you see me in. 
That's the suit. I lost so much weight. The suit is like penciled. It's to the dime. Wow. That's the day it was for. We took those shoots the day of the morning when I had those pictures done. So all those pictures that people see me in the hat was done for this show. And I didn't even get out stage. Oh, my God. You could tell the guy was one of his friends that came out to introduce him. His voice was all quivering. He was all, um, okay, like he was so horrible. And I remember punching the back door. Like my hand was all swollen. I was so, you ever like be so angry that you cry with anger? Oh, yeah. Cry yeah. with, like you're just so angry. Right. And, and I think it was just the world crashing down. And I think, it, and be truthful, I think it was God saying, never put a man before me. Never worship a regular man before me. So like it was the biggest life lesson. You asked me one of my big life lessons. Like this yeah. is the biggest life lesson I ever learned in my life. Wow. That I put him in like that status, like yeah. hero status. He is a man. He eats, drinks, sleeps, bleeds like all of us. He is no bigger, better than us. He's made some life decisions that have made him profitable, right. but he's not a better man. No. So I was like, man, God, what are you teaching me today? Right. I ended up losing the, the, the deal. Wow. I think I only got a quarter of the deal. And oh I was like, God. you can't do this. And they're like, take us to court. Because wow. they needed that shine for right. people to see. And I was hurt, man. I'm like, how is this a $50,000 no lesson? Trust me. Depression, right. before depression, D, you would have to talk me off the couch, bro. Really? Because I was like, how am I going to get past this? Right. Like, how am I going to get past this? I... I destination wedding is because of Steve Harvey. I wrote the script for him to sit down after that show and go, here's a movie script. It could be think like a man three or J like a man one. It's a few. I wrote it for Steve Harvey. You get what I'm saying? That's crazy. It's so crazy. So, so, so like, so Jay, like, let me like, that's crazy. That's That's crazy. You know, you're getting the real. No, no. So, so, this guy is like somebody you emulate. He's like your hero. And, you know, people often say, I, I don't want to meet my my hero or whatever because of things like this. So, like, once that happened, what did you think about all of that? Like, did you kind of just write him off? Like, I don't never want to be. Were you I mean, were you angry with him or was it a lesson? Like you said, it was a lesson for you. But how did you kind of reconcile with all of that, man? Daddy, it gets worse. You thought worse. it was worse? It gets worse. Oh, not only did I write the script, not only did I read it, I went to Jamaica through a very prominent uh, manager. This manager manages Shaggy, Beanie Man, Auntie Killer. She manages every Tessan Chin. Look, she's the greatest Jamaican manager of all time. And her and I walk into the Jamaican consulate and we have him, Mr. Harvey, hosting the 25th anniversary of Bob Marley. And the amount he's getting is 150 grand to do this. But he doesn't know that I'm the guy that cuts the deal. Wow. So this whole thing happens and I want to shoot everybody. Like I want to go everybody down and just like, (laughs) I want to shoot everybody. But I need him to know I'm the guy. Yeah. And they finally, you know, twist around and tell him I'm the guy. And I wait for about an hour and a half. And we sit down eye to eye, man to man. 
and he sells me the shit story. Like, hey, uh, I didn't know that was you. Right. You know, this thing we had planned in Jamaica was like, wow. So I was like, wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, you know, I'm not going to tell you to make the Jamaica deal happen, even though I'd like it to happen and like you to open for me. And then he went on to say that him and I were going to do a show with, oh God, you know, this motivational speaker, Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins, yeah. So me, him, Tony Robbins had six cities lined up for me to open for him, starting with Indiana, Dallas, uh, Washington, Chicago, a bunch of cities. And if I did well on the first city, I would be the guy for the rest of them, just to make this whole situation a little better. And the show got canceled in Indiana. And I was just like, dude, you can't even hurt me anymore than you hurt me. You understand what I mean? So do I respect everything Steve Harvey has done with his life? 100%. Do I respect him as a man for what he did to my soul that day? 100%. You know why? Because it's changed me to believe that I can't believe in no man. God will never allow me to put a man at that level. And I did. I'm not even ashamed to say it, Danny. I did. I I worshipped Steve Harvey. Yeah. I did. I did. I wanted to be him so bad that I forgot who I was. And that was a life lesson. So now you're sitting here going, I can't wait for Destination Wedding. You don't think I want that to pop? Yeah. Hear about this dude? Yeah. yeah. That was your movie. Like I was right. giving you that of me. Right. And that's why the hiatus happened before the hiatus happened right. of what's going on with Corona, because I needed to get this done. Like I needed to get this movie done. And I've spoken to some real good people. It's still gonna happen, even if it's my first soul plane movie. Right. It is what it okay. is. You know what I mean? Our city will support it because there's a lot of grants and things that are going on right now, and they won't give it to you because you ain't experienced. How do you handle a five hundred thousand dollar budget if you ain't done it before? Right. You understand? Right. I mean, you gotta surround yourself with those people to do it. I've got five movies that are make destination wedding look like a joke team. Right. But no one's going to take it seriously until you pop out that first one. No, you, man, you know, and I think this is really important because when I first kind of started doing the motivational speaking and writing books, I was like, yeah, man, I want to be Les Brown. I want to be, you know, Tony Robbins. And, you know, I, I used to go and listen to them speak and amazing. Like both of them are amazing at what they do. Very. And I I realized I don't want to be like nobody else. And 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 what what made it for me was like I remember having these one-on-one conversations, whether it was with a young person or somebody at the at my old job I used to work at. And they would come back to me and they would say, Danny, man, that little five minutes you gave me, I just learned so much about myself. People would be crying at work. I would be late going to meetings late, and people and it was a joke. Oh, let me let me guess. You talked to somebody in the hallway. And people would be crying on the job because I spent five minutes just listening. And I'm not saying that I was this all knowing person, but but showing that I cared or shared something. We've done that. And, and that's when I realized I don't want to like, I don't want to be like anybody else. Like I want to be like me. I love the platforms. These guys are on. I love the amazing things they're doing, but I don't want to be like anybody else. And I think this is a lesson for anybody listening. It's okay to admire people. It's okay to love what they do. Right. It's okay to learn from them, take all of their workshops, watch all their videos, you know, take their seminars. But you are somebody special. Look, every podcast, Jay, I end every podcast and I end every a lot of my social media posts say there's something special about you. Find out what it is and live it out loud or grind until you find it. Be grateful when you get it. Right. 
And that's what it is. And, and as you're saying this, I mean, that was a hard lesson for you to learn, man. Like you idolized this guy and just had all of this stuff happen. But it's the lesson that you got from that that would imagine if this was 10 years after when you got the first movie off and now you it, it was a different level that you were playing on and you meet this guy or, or somebody else that right. you had, I, imagine how your life would have crumbled at that point so correct yes, it was painful but like you said you took lessons from this totally so when people come in you know it's funny people i still have it in my bio canada steve harvey i saw I that that's what, i know they love him you understand what I'm saying? And I want them to love me. Right. I'm not the kind that's going to be like, take that out. Go ahead. You want to call me Canada Steve Harvey? Let's bring it. Because right. that puts me on a level that you want to, I wanted to be at. I know people recognize. So let's go. I'm coming with that. So while I'm doing corporates this week, I got about four of them that I got to do comedy shows with. That's what they're reading. And that's what they're going to get. Wow. My swag turned up. Wow. Like, I'm not going to take him out ever. Until he called me, be like, "Can you take me out, dude? You know we ain't really." That's got right. That's you right. So, but so, until I hear that, I'm gonna keep going. Keep going. So Jay, when when okay, you knew you were funny. You were getting these standing ovations, right? So when did you know that you were on a different level with comedy? Was it what there during that that first ovation? Was it you know when you 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 know you were traveling with Russell and the feedback? Like at what point did you know like? I'm just more than funny. I'm actually, this is a different level now. When did you realize that? Wow. You want me to tell you when? When when, when he brought me to Montreal, when I went to other cities, where I had no no legwork. You know what I mean? I, I mean, I'm not going to say I killed, but I did well in every city I've ever went to. Right. The only city I have not went to to begin with and murder was Jamaica right. because I'm Jamaican and you can't <laughs> out Jamaican a Jamaican. That's right. And it was really tough. The first show I had down there till <laughs> I don't even think the same guy hasn't booked me back until this year because wow. it didn't go as well as I thought. And it's, it's, it's the same merit that I told you, you know what I mean? Tricks will come down there and say something and get a standing ovation because they know he's African. You understand what I mean? Or John Paul's Trinidadian. Right. I'm Canadian Jamaican. You know what I mean? So right. all my jokes got to be Canadian only. Right. But everywhere I went, everyone was like, I like this guy. St. Martin was like, I like this guy. Right. And that's when that reality kind of clicked in. We know our friends are going to laugh at us. But when you walk into a room with strangers, right. where absolutely no one has a clue of who you are, what you're doing, where you came from, and you have them in stitches, you sign in your first autograph. You're like, wow, dude, can you sign this? That means they th- they see stuff in you you haven't even seen. That's right. You know that's how right. much pride it takes yeah. to sign the autograph? When you know you ain't made it yet, yeah, that is some. That is some. Nah, man, don't do that. Like, because that's the whole paganism thing, and I'm not that guy. But right. to know that I'm not gonna crush somebody's dream, I'm gonna sign an autograph. Who's this too? Like I've done it before, but they see potential in you. You know right. what I mean? Those are driving factors as individuals that are out there. We need to do to ourselves to make it to the next level. No, you're right. And and so like, how do you? How do you? You know, it doesn't seem like you've had much of this, but like if you didn't do well or things didn't land or you might have did a show and you just never felt good about how do you bounce back from that? Listen, man, I'm going to keep this live because you I don't know what about you has the truth serum, but (laughs) you're about to get it. Um, It's that same year. Um, It was that same fast rising year. Uh, Halifax Comedy Festival came and called and it was like great they want him to go and I'm, they have this thing called new faces for rookies you know what i mean and they're in less rooms and the lady who picked me was like this ain't no rookie like 
he's getting a gala with the camera. And I was like, okay. And we were in the room and I remember the guys in the room and everybody's like, we're on the gala. And I knew this was heavy hitters. You know what I mean? And um, I went out there and it, it, it didn't go well, boy. Like I never heard one laugh. I heard one lady laughing and it was like piercing because she was just like, ah, ah, ah. and I was like, wow. I couldn't go back to the dressing room. I'm gonna be honest with you, Danny. I sat in the corridor between the dressing room where all those guys were because there was a TV in the dressing room watching. Mm-hmm. So, you know, all them guys watched you die. You wow. Know? wow. And I died a painful death. Like I was like a mess. And this is why everyone's like, yo, every time you go around, you and John Paul are like brothers. That dude picked me up off the floor in wow. there. Like I was quitting right there. You were done. I quit. It was 2004. I'd won comedian year, and this just came and punched me in the face. And my lessons have to be on national television for some particular reason. Wow. I don't get it, but it was so hard. And it took me so many years after that to get to Just for Laughs because all these festivals talk. Now I bounced back up. He said, get in your room, write some new stuff. You know, that stuff ain't gonna fly. I know you're funnier than that. You know what I mean? Bring it. But I wanted to quit. So there are those moments that you got to fall. And I, I believe, you know, why some people get the gigs they get is because they know people. Some people might judge me off of that, that show. And that mm-hmm. show wasn't my greatest moment. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, it wasn't. I don't know what I said. I remember it not being good. I remember saying, and I remember going, um, there are no Black people here. <laughs> and I got fish and chips. I couldn't even get no vinegar. Oh no! And they were not feeling. Oh well, I first of all, I'm from I'm, I'm from Halifax, and there's a lot of black people there. <laughs> but where where that I went, I didn't see that. But they were not happy with that joke. I remember scratching it so hard out of the book. So I was like, man, I suck. But it's it's moments. These are life lessons. You know what I mean? I wouldn't change it for a thing. Only in the fact that I just hope that other places that do festivals don't watch that tape to be able to judge my character. You know, people go on YouTube and be like, oh, who's this Jay Martin guy? You're going to find older material. It's still funny, but you're going to find older material. Your best is to watch what we do right now while we're at the top of our game to do the best we can be. No, and that's a great lesson. I mean, I think sometimes we look at success as being very linear. Like, okay, I I jump from here to here to here. Everything just lines up because, and and, and in a way I kind of understand because think about this. How many people really, truly find their real, true calling? It's it's very few, right? And so if you're one of the people who actually is like, okay, I know what I want to do. I got to figure it out. So you're, you're, you're light years ahead of 95% of other people. Now you know. And so now that you found it and you're brave enough to pursue it, in your mind, you're like, okay, that was the hardest part. The hardest part is actually finding the thing. I found the thing that I need to do. Now I just need to walk the, you know, move up the ladder. But life isn't like that, right? If you look at any successful person, they were sleeping in their car. They've been bankrupt 10 times. They've been laughed at on, you know, booed off the stage. They've, you know, I've given, I've bombed in some of the speeches I've given. It was crickets. I'm like, oh man, this is crazy. Yeah. And when do I get out? I was terrible. I was like, man, that was so bad. But there's something in you. And this is why I say you got to be so clear about your what. Because once you know what you, you, you have to dust yourself off. But you also said something, and this is what other people have to realize. The people that you surround yourself with 
If you're around a bunch of negative, like one of your boys, if 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 John Paul was negative, he would have been like, yeah, Jay, this ain't your thing, man. You're right. He picked you up. And a lot of us are around a lot of negative people who talk us out of our goals and dreams when you know that they're over there messing up and there's areas of their life that they need to take care of. So talk a little bit about surrounding yourself with powerful, positive people. Listen, I we have a team of guys that I surround myself with that call themselves, there's no one like us. And that's that's the crew I have. And trust me, we're so competitive. And you're, you're absolutely right. I'm going to go industry, just industry, because you know we meet people we don't. And if I'm going to count them, I'm going to count um, Dwayne Morgan, Ian Espinay, yourself, John Paul, uh, Bandit. This circle here of guys that I just mentioned, and I'm sure some other guys go, what about me, Jay? We have kid cut. We are guys that drive each other for perfection in all the stuff we do. We bounce off of each other. We have that that moment where we can call one another and feel weak. You understand what I mean? And know that ain't no, it's not gonna hit road, and everyone's gonna be like, "Yo, Jay Martin feels like he's losing it." Like you guys are gonna be the ones I call to help bring it back up. And what you think about that? And I think your circle is so important. Like. If you're listening, please make make uh, all of us that are in this entertainment writers world, like performers world. Not all of us are shady. A lot of us are like us. D. That's why we gravitate to each other all the time so easily. You got to reach out with us and let let us in your circle. Because while we're there, being your peer, not your idols, will help you get to where you need to get to. A lot of my people. Oh my gosh. And I got in trouble before by just lacing up the man then. But there's a lot of women. Dude, women yeah. that just are Jay Martin fans. Like, Okay, we, we got we to talk, man. Your fans are... I've never seen <laughs> people who are so loyal to a person. I mean... Jay, I've gone. I've gone to your your yeah. events. I, I remember going. There was years ago. There was three hundred people show up. Five. Every time I would go, it'd be like another hundred more. The last one I went to was fifteen hundred people. Exactly. And they are loyal Jay Martin she, fans. Listen, I gotta touch it real quick. Uh, me and Trix were talking, and Trix is a phenomenal comedian. I think one of the best in the country, pound for pound, one of the greatest. And he has like followers and i'm here to tell y'all there's a difference between fans and followers of course he has fans i have fans you understand what i mean and you said it fans are people that want to know where your next meal is coming from their fans are people that want to buy whatever you have because they believe in you fans are people that if they had a million dollars you have a million dollars to work on your project and that's the important part. So that's what drives me to consistently bring my game up, my fans. And you say it, I'm so grateful. Like if anyone asks me, what are you grateful for? Of course, life, breath, health, family. Those are things we all say. But you see my fans and loyalty? Dude, dude, I don't even ask for things because I know I'm going to get it. So you'll see me go, Jay, I heard you in a while. You ain't said that. Because if I say it, D, they're going to do whatever I want them to do to get it. And I'm not going to abuse that relationship. And I love that. And, that. and I think that's why, you know, you and I connect so much is because I know lots of people who do lots of things who are at various levels in their career field. 
And one of the things I, I knew about you right away is that you care about people. And I can tell because of the comedy experience. And I remember, you know, I, I took, I, I think I, um, the one, the one of the ones that you did down in uh, the CNE grounds there. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I brought like 10 people. I brought my mom, my sister, my wife. I brought like, I told my wife and my wife's girlfriends, yo, we're all going like 10 of us came and they were like, oh yeah, Jay's doing a comedy show. It's good. I said, no, Jay's doing a comedy experience. Yeah. And they said, well, what is that? I said, Jay got his food. He got a band. He got a DJ. Uh, And talk about the comedy experience. Because one thing that I realized as a coach, words have meaning and power and a lot of people don't get that right hey, you could have said a comedy show but you said a comedy experience talk right. to me about that uh quickly with that is is the fact that it all draws from all the things we talked about today i'm in a band for most of my life that made me here so i have to have one i love music so much so it's a dj the month my mom taught me to cook a lot of food so people come and they get hungry because i'm gonna ha- i'm gonna have your attention for two and a half hours and there's nothing in the world that you do for two and a half hours that doesn't make you hungry you know what i mean and when you downtown you gotta go either deeper downtown or way back home so while you're as happy as you are you're hungry and no one is happy and hungry at the same time so this experience i'm bringing you is the whole gamut we got a game show in that aspect, what we do between intermission. People are like, I got to go to the bathroom, but I don't want to leave because it's so entertaining. Yeah. These guys are playing Name That Tune during intermission. I feel that you need to be entertained. And I must say that it hurt me towards the part where I hit the hiatus where people were just wanting to just go watch people make them laugh. And I'm not dissing other promoters out there, but I was getting like, they were turning it into, I can see Jay anytime as opposed to I'm going to go to see this guy or Jay. And I was like, I'm losing because you think you can see me anytime. So now I got to spread this out so that you miss me. But when I'm giving it, I'm giving 110%. Whether it was 300, 500 to a thousand, it's because everyone was going in there. I know actors that have come to the show and going, dude, what are you doing? Like we thought you was just going to come out and tell jokes, which you're capable of. Hmm. And secondly, I'm putting Tons of comedians on. Oh, yeah. Comedians on that no one ever yeah. heard of. Definitely. I've I heard, heard some you of the- in Atlanta. You're great. You're coming. Um, you know what? I need this money. No one's going to know you and no one wants to see you. <laughs> Let's get that straight. Right. They come in to see Jay Martin. But while seeing Jay Martin, I'm letting you see tons. Like, I got comedians. I, I, I can't even count them. The amount that I've put on on a Jay Martin show because I want them to see your flavor. Mm-hmm. Not because I can't go up for an hour and a half. Right. Right. You understand? I care. Like you yeah. said, I care. Yeah. I care that my woman audience wants to hear a woman and she's funny. So I'm going to bring my girl, Melanie Camacho, all the way from Los Angeles. She That's didn't right. even believe me. She was like, what are you talking about? Who are you? Why is your check not clear? And I'm like, ask a money, money transfer. I said right. it. Like, right. she goes, you better be a shoot, straight shooter. I'm like, trust me. Then she gets here and I'm like, wake up. We're having breakfast together. She's like, what? Yeah, we're going to breakfast together, all the comedians before the show, and they're going to have a driver pick you up. I treat people like how I would want to be treated. Now, does anybody know who they are here? No. Did anybody buy that $30 ticket, which I kept affordable, so you all can try to listen to me and believe in me? Dude, no one knows that. But that feeling, that experience, that's what I do. The experience was always it. So when I'm out there and I'm breaking even on a a show with five, six hundred people, Mm-hmm. And I've put out 15 to 20K to make it happen. And it's just like, 
equal mm-hmm. and I got to live next month. I was like, nah, I got to go do this movie because respect due, but the major hypes are coming. The, the white yardies are coming. The, whoever's coming, yeah. it's just going to turn on the light and right. talk to you and make you laugh. They're coming and you're paying 80 bucks and a hundred bucks for that guy. Cause he's not, he's American or he's from England or he's from anywhere, but Toronto and my own people that though they're loyal, they weren't, they were running to see all these other people. And I don't wrong them. I want to see those guys. Right, right. I do. But like, I'm here. I've never charged $50 for yeah. a show. Yeah. Never. No, your shows have always been affordable. I mean, you should be charging 150. Exactly. I mean, everything but, that but, you do. And, 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 and the other thing is, you know, there's inspiration, there's storytelling. Like when you, when you go to your show, you're, you know, you're talking about real things that people can relate to right now. You might be going through a tough time or in your relationship, but keep going. like you inspiring and motivating. Like it's a, that it's a whole experience and you could easily like $150, you could that's what it's worth. But I had to, I had to make them miss it a little bit. And of course the pandemic came and, you know, shout outs to the media people, the news people, uh, my management and my my publicist that made sure that, hey, when they see you next time, it's a movie. And I figured if I make a movie or a sitcom and then I do a show, we'll be back to doing what you just said. You're still going to get the proper show and entertainment, but now people will pay for it. And I don't have to beg you to come to that experience. Yes, I love that. So talk a little bit about like what has been happening over this last COVID because you've been popping up in different places. And, <laughs> you know, one of the things that you, you like, you're a promoter, like, you know how to promote stuff. And I know some of these promoters out here may be jealous because you get, you know, as a comedian, you bring out more people than a lot of these promoters. So at their parties, yeah, it's crazy. So what have you been doing like over the last, you know, since uh, over the last six, seven months? Because I see you popping up here and there. Talk yeah, about your the, mindset with that. The campaigns, uh, there are three things that have come that are that we're doing. Number one is the sitcom I created with Oliver Samuels, which is the king of Caribbean comedy, hands down. We have a show called Oliver in Charge. We've written 10 episodes. Wow. Uh, we are going to shoot the pilot. And once we shoot the pilot, we're going to shop it to all the networks. Mm-hmm. We feel that the diaspora of Africa. Caribbean has not been reflected in the comedy world in terms of sitcoms ever. Uh, everybody I tell it to is just loving it. Uh, the concept is amazing. Uh, it's just straight funny. I'm married to an African wife who's a lawyer based off of, of course, you know, some influential women. I want a woman of power with me and show women that they have that right to be that in a sitcom. I'm the one with no job because I left my job, like the story of my real life, to just do whatever it is I want to do. I got a father that's coming in, a half-brother that's in Jamaica that I never grew up with. So it goes through all of those parallels. And I got a brother-in-law and a comedian like Tricks, where our chemistry is, that get into all sorts of shenanigans with my dad. So it brings all of those concepts of what we watch through the Cosby show, through Blackish, through Bernie Mac show, through some of the greatest shows, but they've never, all the shows I mentioned, none of them have ever touched the Caribbean or even black culture as it is in a country like Canada, where you can be Scotian, Caribbean, um, American and African, and we all get along and know each other. We all know what it is. You know what I mean? I know what it is. I know what it is to spend a weekend in Scotia. I, I know what concept. it is 
to, to hear Afro beats. Like, this is not new to anybody of Black culture here. And that's not what happens in our counterparts in the South. So what ends up happening is we created a show which is much like how England is, which I think this show would do very well. I'm not going to name any networks, but there are two networks that are interested in the idea of the wow. show. That's so awesome. the concept of the pilot has got to be made. We were going to shoot it in October, but, you know, the travel things with my actors have to come up here for 14 days. they got to stay somewhere. Right. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And isolate themselves. So that's number one. Number two is, as, as I said to you, Destination Wedding has to happen. Uh, I've, ignited, I've ignited my company with another film company that's very good. I'm not going to say their names yet, but their resume is no one's going to knock on my door anymore and go, you don't have any experience because these guys right. have not experienced. They're okay. a phenomenal team of writer, producer, and um, director. And I'm so happy to be working with them. And together we are going to shoot and do um, Destination Wedding, hopefully get a one of the people in the big corporate worlds that are donating these monies to Black businesses come up and step up and do it and uh, get it done. So that's happening. I'm also looking forward to doing what my mom did in the new year. I'm, I'm looking at some spots. I want to create that dynamic food experience like I've given you before. Yes. And I want it to be limited to a time period. So what's what's respect due to the real jerks and all the restaurants out there, what would be different to mine is there's a time period for you to get this food. It might be Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It might be Ooh, Saturday, Sunday. That's but cool. it's going to be at a level that people are going to go, are you kidding me? So it's going to be proper with the business business model that I use. And that's the kicker to West Indian food is it's never business. It's never matching their food. So the experience of the individual getting the food is never a nice experience no. or it's an easy experience to get the food and the food tastes trash. That's right. Like That's right. it's rare to get both, both of them together. I agree. And the problem is, is because they got to live up to that expectation of customer service for seven days a week, right. which is a hard thing to do. D it's That's a hard true. thing to do. That's so true. I'm going to make it shorter wow. and bang it out. And hopefully blow everybody's mind. Bro, I love that's, this. That's the concept I of I love it, man. Business. Man, you got a lot going on. Yeah, that's um, what I got going on. And I'm trying to, to keep healthy bro. and get acting classes. Just wow. I, I'm always going. Man, look, we're at about an hour and a half, but I got like a couple more questions. Is it okay if I ask you a couple oh, more? Oh, good, good. Go ahead. Cool. Um, I, I want to know, man, you're doing so many things. You've had so many experiences traveling and and. And, and um, being on stage with lots of lots of really well-known people. What, what is the best advice that you've ever received? What's the best advice in life, business yeah. life? Yeah. Um, the best advice, I've received a lot of good advice. But the, I'm going to make this one real simple. Um, and you can follow it as good as you are. Uh, everyone we know can follow it. Uh, when you are an entrepreneur and you are following your dream, the best advice I ever got was it's not a team sport. Mm. And the reason why I say that is because uh, it's not a team sport. We're here talking about who's loyal or what have you, but you can't come into this game with the expectation like basketball, that there are four other players like football, that there are blockers like any sport that has another person. We're like that individual. That's a swimmer. If he sucks, they lose. A tennis player, single tennis player. If you suck, you lose. 
this is not a team sport. And I kept going, you know, why wouldn't he want to work with me? Why don't I want to work together? And then I realized when my boy, John Paul, he was the one who said, he said, it's not a team sport. Comedy's not a team sport. Like, this is not, hey, do you want to go out and tell jokes together? Nobody owes you anything. You know what I mean? And that was a hard realization. I had to learn way more in the game further to understand why people aren't like you and me, Danny, who are willing to help people get successful. Right. Some people aren't built that way. They're just no. built on their own success. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. I can't be mad at you because you only care about you. Right, right. It might be selfish, but right. I can't be mad at that. Right. You understand what I mean? So that was the best advice I ever gotten. I give it to people all the time. It's not a team sport. And I think, Jay, I think, too, one thing that uh, what I think we should let people know is that that doesn't mean that you don't have a team, that you don't work with people. Right. Might, yeah. You oh. know what I mean? It means that you're the one that's in control. When you have a team, they're looking to you. You are the driver of everything. Exactly. Right? If you're up, you're up. If you fail, then everybody fails, right? So I think right. that's one thing that we want to let people know. You're not yeah, saying you don't have a team. By the parallels. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm nothing without my team. Right. My team is tremendous. And right. now my team is super tremendous. When you merge them all together, they're super tremendous. So, and and to me... Yeah, I'm the leader of my team. Uh, I got writers, producers, like I got management. I got a lot of good people on my team, but I'm the guy that kind of makes it run. And the only guy on my team that I answer to is God. You know what I mean? I'm constantly spiritually thanking him and asking him for guidance. And then I ask the team, what do you think? And I listen to my team. Like there's a lot of people... I'm not saying no names, but there's some people that get murdered in social media because they they didn't listen to their team. That's true. Let's be facts. If that's, you see that, that's 100 facts. Who has failed recently that you know of or is going through something? I yeah. guarantee them that you look around them, and if we could get a mirror or a little camera around them, it would show that they did not listen to their team yeah. or not trust their team. That's right. So, in one breath, I'm telling you, it's not a team sport for you, but you still need your team. Right. And you need to listen to your team and you yes. need to trust your team because yes. it's your team that helps you get there. And if your team, team feels a part of that trust, they're not going to hurt you. They're going to look out for you. Of course. They're going to help you make things that you can't see because, D, we can't be everywhere. No. I can't right. be in the restaurant, shoot a movie in a sitcom. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Clear here. You're great. That. You're great, but no. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I got to trust my restaurant team that's going to do this for this period of time at this level. I'm going to have to trust the guy that I put on the computer that makes sure that the order goes through and everything comes off nicely. I got to trust that my, my, my directors are knowing the days that we block off to shoot this are those days. And I got to be on tip top shape, well sleeping, get the bags out of your eyes, make sure you're ready to get that acting thing going. And I, you got to trust your team. You got to have a good team. So it all wraps around what you said, surround yourself with a good team and trust that team. Yeah, no, that's great. And since we're talking about all of that, like how do you balance being a comedian, being on the road, and your family. Like, how does that work? Like, how do you balance that? In the beginning, my family took a beating. They did. They they do really did. Like, I and I'm hearing it now. They took a beating because they were like, where is he gone? What does he do? You know what I mean? I have an older daughter that doesn't live with me. So she's like, I hear about when my dad's keeping a show. And that hurts. You know what I mean? Because you want to be a little bit more closer to them than that. But now, because I'm a little older, a little wiser, and I'm able to not before the pandemic, I was turning down gigs unless they were like a yearly festival. I wouldn't just run to 
Atlanta because I'm in Atlanta to do a show anymore. Like before it was like, sorry, next week I'm in Atlanta, next weekend I'm in England, next week I'm in, like, I'm here, 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 here. And then your whole family just looks, when are you back? Like, right. I never asked anybody. I just left. You know what I mean? So now it's changed and I realize, you know, I'm home a lot more. Uh, for obvious reasons as well. So the pandemic is also for everyone to get a reset. You know what I mean? It's something where we know that it's a very serious thing, As even though there's, you know, tear, they're tearing the walls open, whether to close or shut, vaccination, no vaccination. Right. Regardless of what they do and say, we are getting an opportunity to reset ourselves. You know what I mean? A well-needed break, allow us to physically get ourselves better, spiritually, mentally get ourselves better. And I think I'm right now, you can hear it in my voice and in my action. I'm at my best me yeah. right now, right now. Like, bring it. Like, I, I, I want, I want it all. Where I wasn't at my best me before because yeah. I was chasing different little dreams. You know what I mean? Right. We can be as. You ever heard the word overambitious? Oh yeah, for sure. There you go. Yeah. You, and you're like, how can you be overambitious? Like that's what I was then, and it becomes overambitious when you're chasing it and you're losing in other areas. Ambition is when you're going that way, you're chasing it and you're achieving it, but you're still manifesting everything that you want to do. Oh, I love that you said that. No, I love that you said that. You know, I think that the other thing too is we we have to learn to define what success is. Like I've had coaching clients who were very successful financially. Um, their families are falling apart, going through divorce. Their kids don't know who they are. Their health is suffering. And, and some of them will tell you, no. I'm not, I'm not successful. How can I be successful when my 25 and 30 year old kid doesn't know me? I'm going through a divorce. I'm 50 pounds overweight, but I got this money in my bank account. Right. And so I think what I was hearing you say is you really had to learn. I call it your wins. What's important now. What are your wins? What's, what's important now? Right. Right. Because we can trick ourselves into bit. Oh, I'm running around and I'm doing all these things and I'm keeping busy and making this money for my family. Yeah. But your family just wants you home. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I think that what you were saying, that just popped up for me because that's I think that's a great lesson for so many of us. We have to get back to reevaluate. What are my wins? What right. is important now? Yeah. Yeah. Right? I love that. I love the paraphrase, the acronym. I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. <laughs> I might borrow that, my friend. No, keep it, man. You can keep that. <laughs> I might borrow that. My friend. Um. What have you learned about yourself, you know, being a comedian for so long? What like what's one or two things that you really like really learned about yourself being on or off stage, writing, being alone, being on the road? What like what's something that you really learned about yourself that I you didn't know about myself that I didn't know very recently? Um, you know, because I confide in you. Uh, I recently just had an operation uh, to replace my hip. And uh, it was funny because I, when I got the call from my doctor, it was a cancellation. So it happened so quick, I couldn't even prep everybody at family and friends. There were like brethren that are like, what? You did what today? Right. They knew I was suffering from the pain, which was affecting me on stage. I wasn't moving like I was standing still or I was sitting on a chair. And the J. Martin, you know, is like all over, all this over the place. You know what yeah. I mean? I couldn't do all of those things, but I uh, had the operation successful. And, um, you know, in order to get out of the hospital with my doctor, she was like, you're going to have to hit up these staircase. And I couldn't get up 
a staircase with five steps. Like, wow. like it was just too much pain. And they were like, okay, we're going to take you to a recovery hospital. Now I get to the recovery hospital and, you know, they do all these checks on me and I'm ready to get better. And I'm in the recovery hospital. What I don't know is that they're like, Hey, while you're getting better, you can't leave your room for seven days. And I was like, what? Wow. Like you can't go out the door. So what? You can go to the bathroom or the bed for seven days. Now you just said, what do you learn about yourself? What happens in day three? You're like, I wasn't going outside anyway. But day four, you're like, what's out there? And day five, you're like, I can't stay in here no more. Like I've covered every inch of this room right. that I can. And I realized about myself that I didn't know how mentally strong I was. I understand depression, insanity, so much better now because before i was like why are you depressed or mm-hmm. why are you insane like right just do this right until you are know that you can't do something and you and i are can't do type of people no, no. <laughs> you know what i mean no. so while being like not a, a can't do kind of person that is stuck in the frame of can't leave that was crazy and and like no visitors you can't leave it felt like the closest thing to jail. And ironically enough, I was at Bridgepoint, I'll say it, which is connected to Don Jail. And and when I did finally leave the room, the one walk they took me around the room was I could see the jail. And I was like, I was just in one. You know what I mean? So to be incarcerated and it's a mental incarceration is the same thing as a physical one. Uh, Since you're like, since you're in there, you're like, brethren, like, this is crazy. So what I learned about myself is I'm a lot stronger than I expected. Wow. Uh, I came out better. I wrote material. I kept calling people. I kept in touch. I made it fun. So that's wow. something I learned that I'm proud of. And, and so how did you make it through that? Was it faith? Was it, how did you like, like if someone right now is, is going through something, like what would you say to someone right now who's at that place? They're depressed. Yeah. They're struggling. Like give them some words in terms of how you made it through that. Might uh, I them. called people. I called, I called people. I kept talking. And when I called them, you know what I did? I didn't, I acknowledged the time I leave. So I would be like, yo, it's 73 hours and 23 minutes till I get out of here. <laughs> and they're like, what? Who right. counts that? I'm just right. like, I was writing rap songs. <laughs> right. I'm leaving rap voice notes on my friend's WhatsApps. Just be like, just to be stupid. And can I spit still? Like, let yeah. me throw this rap out. And yeah. practicing in the bed because you had nothing to do. I didn't have a TV. Right. They blocked Netflix in the building. So wow. I couldn't watch Netflix. It was just like, dude, write some jokes, be funny. And I would just call people and make them laugh because laughing for comedians is 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 our antidote right. you guys think we're making you feel better but don't know that making you feel better makes us feel better you know them them, them guys that are lovers that are like yo baby I, making you feel good makes me feel better. right right <laughs> <laughs> you know that feels that girl be like really okay then <laughs> <laughs> Every man's used that line. Well, no, baby, it's all about you today. Hey, man, I'm good. I can get my arm. Oh, <laughs> That's what I was doing. I was making people laugh, and by making them laugh, it was like you still got it, bro. You still got it. So but you, you know, I think you raise a great point there because a lot of comedians say that their comedy comes from pain, right? And so was that 
was that the case for you or is this your storytelling? Like, cause you know, I, you know, you hear it all the time. My, you know, the biggest, I mean, the biggest comedians in the game, they say yeah. a lot of their comedy comes from places of pain. It does. So, like yeah. you, you can hear it in the, the conversation today. Uh, you know what I mean? I watched my brother died when I was 12, my oldest brother, my mother, who's a single mother dies and gets buried on my 16th birthday. Wow. That's pain. You understand what I mean? You walk into school and nobody's talking to you because they don't know what to say to you. So that's where it starts. And I get in the stands and I make jokes. Right. And I crack jokes in the stands. And it's weird because I went to school with one of the city's greatest basketball players in Bobby Allen. I went to high school with him and he called me before the operation because he heard I was getting it. And he was giving me advice. And we, we've talked over the years, but we've never talked like how me and you would talk. These right. Days. And he confessed something to me. And I was so shocked. He's like, first of all, I waited like 10 years to watch you. And I couldn't believe it. You were at a Kirk Franklin concert. And I was like, this kid went to school with me. And I'm like, all our lives were like, we went to school with the ball. Right. Man. Yeah. Right. And he goes, I'm going to confess something to you. There'd be days I'm like ripping the rim off and everyone's going nuts. But I'm like, sitting on the bench, warming up or relaxing or taking a foul shot. And I hear raw. And that's you tearing up the audience in, right. like, in the, the, the stands. Like, no, like D, if we went to high school together, you would know, like I was that cruel comic. Like I was <laughs> a cruel comic. Like, there was a kid, I'm going to tell you a joke. There was this kid that was from, uh, oh, where was it? Niagara Falls or one of those out schools for a tournament at our school and they were doing a layup drill and it's quiet in the gym. They're doing layups, layups. They ain't got no music. It's two teams that don't go to our schools. So they don't got no tracks and we're bored. And I'm like, yo, I get up and I start dancing. And they're like, what is this guy doing? And I'm like, what? And they're like, what are you dancing to? And the dude had a groove in his head. <laughs> And I'm like, I'm dancing to the groove in number 12's head. Oh, and we were like, no! Oh, man. <laughs> he That's had a groove in his head, and he's doing a layup, and this, his team is cracking on him. I cracking on like oh. I was one of those, ah! Uh, hit you in the head. They're like, this guy! Wow. All game, they're laughing at this kid. And don't get me wrong, it's cruel now, but in high school, I was that guy. It was high school. It was high school. High school? Oh, I tore people up in high school. There was this one girl that I used to ask what was for lunch next week because she had a nose so big I call her toucan. And she got a oh nose job. <laughs> I saw her at a reunion and she's like, you notice me? I got a new nose because of you. Like, oh my I was gosh. That, I was that guy. <laughs> so don't get me wrong. I wasn't paid, but yeah. I put some pain on some people. So wow. Bad nickname. So that, that's where it started. Like, it does come from pain. I agree. I can't be like, oh, my life was great. Nah, it was great when I finally came out and beat to be a comedian. But right. it wasn't great coming up through the ranks. Being and people have to, like I said, people have to understand it's when you you have to commit and you have to take the good with the bad and find your way through it. And, you know, one of the things that um, that I wanted to ask you is like, like, what what stands out to you other than you know that first standing ovation and going on tour like what is like one of your biggest memories as a comedian what's like something that just stands out like unbelievable that you can't even I'm believe gonna, it happened i'm gonna tell you the biggest memory as a comedian for me is not what everyone's gonna think it's not opening for the biggest comedian ever because it's a moment that you step out there and it's quickly done uh, the best comedy memory I have, and I know the other two people have it too, is Trix, myself, and John Paul did a Three the Hard Way show in Ottawa. And no one remembers the show. 
but we went to a restaurant after uh, the three of us, and it was it was joke for joke. It was like a joke battle. And the, I think five people that got to be with us during that time will tell you, bar none, the funniest day of their life. And between the three of us, we know it was the funniest day of our life because we were all shooting on 10. Like it's not often that all guys are on 10 and, and the people that were here, the five were like, no, this was like, a, like it was like, boom, boom. And I'm winning and I'm losing. I win. It was like, it was like a three man tennis match of jokes and, Everyone was a Williams sister. It was. It's like a three-way tennis match. And we shot for about an hour and we were like, no one's the winner, but the, but the five people that were there will tell you bar none, the funniest night of their life. That's my biggest comedy. But, but Jay, you know what? That in itself is actually poetic because think about it. All of the experiences that you've had, you know, being, you know, telling jokes in Dubai and all these places around the world, opening for the biggest comedian ever. Yeah. Like the fact that you were with your boys, people that, whose back, you, the three of you have each other's backs. You know what it's like to be out here in the trenches on the road. You know, it's hard work being a comedian. And your most one of the biggest memories you have is with guys that you look to as brothers. And I think that's a lesson. It's so it's such a big lesson for people, because we think once we get to a destination right? in terms of our life or once I buy that yacht, once I buy that house, once I finally get on this person's platform or once I can finally do this thing, that's that's what I want. Meanwhile. You're overlooking the thing that, you know, could be the most cherished memory, the most cherished experience of your life. It is. And the fact that it's not just mine, you know what I mean? If you ask them, I guarantee you, they both will say that. Like that day was just incredible. We were just so, we laughed so hard that, that, and as comedians, people always go, what makes you guys laugh? It's weird because we around comedy so much that most of the time my friends are like, we don't really see you laugh. We just hear you say hilarious. My management team will be here and be going, I'm like, that's hilarious. Which is really me going, ha, ha, ha. But we've laughed so much <laughs> that our laugh levels are low. So we just be like, oh, that's hilarious. Yo, that's, really, that's funny. But we mean like what you're doing right there. <laughs> we do. So um, yeah, to be knowing that we, all three of us were on the floor going, we can't, or we just throw ourselves down. Like those are great memories. And, and me and Trix have a lot of those. Me and John Paul have a lot of them. Man, I love that. I now I, I got to ask this because I know a lot of people are going to want to know. Since you were talking about being on the road, yes, what's it like being on the road and and women being around and you know, like you know, people want to know what that like rock star life is like. Okay, Jay's on tour. Are there like groupies? Are there girls that like you know come up to you after the show and like, hey, let's go back to the hotel? Like, like what what happens in that world and how do you deal with that? Ah. What I will not do is the Think Like a Man book <laughs> by, by Steve Harvey and Mashup Man's life. Uh, but it's so there because uh, we we allow people to forget uh, their lives. When you go to a comedy show, whatever you're going through, be it stress, money, whatever it is, we allow you to forget that. And a lot of women want that to aspire in a moment. You know what I mean? So I would be lying if I was saying that comedians don't get offered uh women all the time all the time and usually the shows that they put us on are show 
an after party in at, in LA. You understand what I mean? So you're in LA and you're at a show and there's an after party and you're you only know you. You're standing at the bar and you're like, good. They never play music like how they played in Toronto. You know that. So you're just like, oh. and there will always be a woman walking up going, what's your drink? And you're staying in a hotel at the venue. Like it's just so weird that it plays itself like that. Now, now you're 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 not supposed to, you know be cool with them because they're a fan. You want them to come back to the show next time. And the younger ones be probably like, I'm going to hit that ass. But yeah, you're always placed in that uh, position. It's not like rock stars. Rock stars get it like, we're coming to your room. These ones are a little more on the, hey, man, I'd like to get to know you. Me and my friends think you're pretty funny. And you're like, oh, really? Yeah, you want to go get something to eat after? Or you know what I mean? And I'm always about my belly, unfortunately. So I'm like, yeah, we get something to eat. And, I, you know, the best way as, as any advice for anyone that's in that situation is always eat something because then you can always use uh, itis as your excuse. <laughs> you ate, I'm tired. I got to go to sleep. I just need to go to sleep. Oh, I can help you. Now, if you come in my room, I ain't going to get no sleep. So... I'm not going to tell you ain't nice. Like you always complimented them. I ain't going to tell you ain't nice in a better day. Like, you know, we always got that gift to gap, but I'm always like, get something to eat. So when I go to Montreal, I power with my guy. Like you always have a guy in that city. Cause gentlemen, ladies, I say this to you all the time, ladies, if you have a man in your life, whether they be an entertainer or not, um, always be friends with one of their friends. And I say this because one of those friends are the ones that help you get on a straight and narrow when you're thinking as a man, with your head, you understand what I mean? There's always a good to have a guy that's just like, hey man, I'm not gonna say anything that's a fine girl right there, but you got so-and-so at home and you ain't wanna mess that up. Like that ain't a bomb crack in your moment. That's just a dude just going, hey, I can see you've had enough drinks. She's gorgeous. The food's great. You're great. Eh, is it worth it? So always be friends with uh, one of your man's friends is a good advice. And for us, you know, like it, it's not near worth all of that. You know what I mean? When you go out of town, but it's not easy. I'm being straightforward. Guys are probably listening, going, come on, Jay, you know, it ain't easy. It isn't easy, especially when you circle the city again, or you're coming back again. Like that's when, when you're, when your career is good enough that you're doing Vegas three times a year, LA two times a year. You know what I mean? That, that allows someone to be like, well, I got to meet him the last time. This time I'm coming. I'm like, Hey, Hey, you know what I mean? It's different. So it's not easy. I hope I answered your question the best way to let you know oh, that it's out so, there. But I'm going to be very honest with you. I decline it because I know what comes from it. You get what I mean? And it ain't it ain't worth it. And I like early flights. I like to get back home early. So my flights are always like get to the, especially when it's LAX, you get to the airport like your body's still at 6 a.m. You know what right. I mean? 5 a.m. So, so how does your wife deal with all that? Like, you know what? She's been, she's been very supportive. You know what I mean? She's very supportive. Even when there's times where like, you'll come to a show and there's like seven girls in front. She ain't going to be like, excuse me, excuse me. She's going to be like, hi, you know, I'm here with my cousins or my girl when you done, you know what I mean? She's been through seeing these girls that, that feel that they just want to get up there on stage and be like, hey, but she, she understands now that you got to hug and take pictures and be all up on it. And they'll be like, wah, wah, two kisses. And you know what I mean? But she, she's actually learned it. Like it, in the beginning, it wasn't easy for her. You know what I mean? It was kind of like all these people want him. Like, that girl wants it. That girl right. football wants it. Right. Like, yeah, you know, girls got that radar where they know, and you're like, what? <laughs> it's 
indeed. I can say the same for you. I'm sure. We're not ugly guys. So how did you get to that point with in your with your wife? How did you guys get to that point where she's just more understanding and accepting? Like, how did that kind of work out? I think it kind of comes from uh, money. (laughs) Is my son? I see. I know you're on something, but uh, I want to. Um, uh, You know what? Funny to get to that point. You know, I think it was more her. I'm not even going to say I had anything to do with it. I think it's more her just going, you know what? He's got dreams and I won't even lie. I don't even think she was into the dream when it first started. You know what I mean? Same she with me. She kind of came into the game watch like later when Same. getting 500 people. And, Same thing, brother. Yeah. So I'm like, so she's like, wait a minute. I've been home and you, you got good. Like, I'm like, no, nah, I've been good. You know what right. I mean? I always made you laugh. But she's seeing the corporate world. She's seeing the hustle and fail on the, the, the girl group. You know what I mean? So right. she was just like, this is what he does. But when she gets out here now, now it's like, okay, I'm coming to the show. Like she wasn't like at all the shows. You know what I mean? But yeah. then like coming to one and she's like, okay, why are 15 girls around you? And then right. at the show, those 15 girls ain't seen nobody around you. So they're like, "That's right. wow, I'm going to shoot my shot. Right, right, right. So, you know, it took her, and I must admit, I got to credit her. It took her a while to be able to understand that. You know what I mean? I have a party. I can't walk through my own party without somebody whining on me. That's impossible. Like, it's impossible. But she got to know I got to play it up. Be like, whoa, 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 you're too good. Like, you you can't be a type of woman that's going to be like, okay, why did that girl whine on you? Like, I can't stop the girl from whining on me. She just brought 15 friends to my party and it's her birthday. And I kind of need that. You kind of need that because the whole cars we got, food I'd be buying, comes from that same girl that why not me for a second. So it's just, you know what I mean, Danny, as men, we got to just play it right. Greater men than us in this world have gone through the same problems and issues. Right. Um, it's how you handle yourself respectfully, uh, respect your home. You know what I mean? Come home every night. You got them cats. Don't ever disrespect your home. My mother always told me before she died, I always respect the woman. So, you know what I mean? If you, we know it. There's cats out there be like, yeah, I'm not. I'm just not coming home tonight. Hey, I'm not coming home. Is that my boy's house? We're drinking. Like, right. Dude, go home every night. Like, nobody can walk up to you and be like, yo, so you out here in these streets? You ain't right. going home at night? Especially with social media now. You know, it's so easy for people to post Ooh. all of these things. And I think having a strong, like, and this is the other thing, too. You know, you need a strong partner in your life. And they're not going to believe in your goals and dreams in the beginning. And, 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 they, and they shouldn't. They're your goals and your dreams. They shouldn't right. believe it. Right. But what I often tell people is progress equals belief. Right. The more progress you make in your, on your goals and your dreams, the more you actually believe you can do it. And the more your partner and other people believe that you can do it. Right. So if someone's not on board with you right now, that's okay. You just limit what you say to them about your goal and your dream. Exactly. There's and you just work on it. Distract that, that dream. You know what I mean? Because you want them to believe in it, but they will. They will. When you, when you get, don't, don't expect the success to come like this. You don't want someone to be like, oh, you could be anything, baby. You can. Right. You're like, come on, man. I'm shit faced right now. I want you mean I can do everything I can. I don't need, I, I didn't ask for a cheerleader. You know what I mean? Sometimes, you and I, we get into that rut. You're like, man, I need another book. And I don't want to say what I said in my first book. And the words start sounding repetitive. And I don't know if I can do this. Right. No, you can do that, babe. You got that deadline. I believe in you. And they leave you in the room. And you're like, 
Yeah. <laughs> we all need a pep talk, man. We all need yeah, a pep talk. Man. We need a pep yeah. talk, not a cheerleader. We need a, and that's why you a life coach. Like <laughs> I'm not even fronting people. Daddy will call me and say shit in like 60 seconds. He'll say it in 34 seconds. I will take a minute and a half to respond back to him. I'm like, how does this dude dice this shit up in like 30 seconds? But what it says is, win. And you do this, that, and then come back. <laughs> Dude, I was trying to say that, but I needed more down. Because <laughs> you're used to stretching things out. You know, <laughs> you go on, you go on stage, it's like. <laughs> I'm like, see, what I'm feeling is that I'll, I'll write back and be like, yo, daddy, what's up, man? Let me tell you what I'm going through now. I'm going through the like, yeah, that's simple. Like, just, you need to do Cole's notes. That's what your name should be. Daddy Cole's notes. I might have to do that man straight shot no chaser here you go yeah, straight man what the hell you don't put that on that don't put that on. wow like you can make it work i'm impressed i'm impressed so i got two more questions for you oh before before those two questions yeah. um online clubhouse we were talking about clubhouse earlier why don't you tell people like what that is and like why you're on it and stuff like that? Uh, Clubhouse is, 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 you know, a group of people, which I'm sure started off from what I hear, it started off as a pitching network for people looking for funding for their projects. And they were able to talk all together and say what they think about the pitch in the timeline. And I thought that was itself was genius, but I didn't even know about it. Like they've done a great job of keeping it secret. And what's nice about it is, is anyone who hears about it, you can only get on by nomination of one person through an invite from an individual that's on that platform, which makes you very careful with who you choose to bring on it. Um, I'm not even a week on it, but I really have gotten and soaked up so much information. I'm only in the pitch rooms and the people that are talking about LA pitches, TV pitches, movie pitches, because that's all I really care about. I'll dabble into the comedy room, which ah, has been a little unfulfilling for me because I'm like a bunch of comedians that know each other. And they're talking about particular days that they were performing together and they're talking about stage time and you got to work your way up and things that didn't, wasn't my my story like right. you heard my story so i don't want to hear that you got to get five minutes and then you move to seven and am i a headliner if i draw people all of that was crap to me so it is a very good great uh platform for information you just got to find it mm-hmm. so you still got to google while on it but i have found it tremendous i've popped into some rooms me where too. poets were speaking and i'm and it's good to see that we have a little canadian contingent you kind of smile when you see the person you know that's in there and then you ask yourself how they get in here and then you kind of know that they're a mover or a shaker you know that's what right. i mean there ain't nobody going hi jay martin like right. they've done instagram or or facebook or anything like that so it's it's pretty good how's it been for you yeah i just started on it so i just jumped in a couple of rooms and yeah there's some very inspirational people in there man there's 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 a lot of connectors i like i like that and people who just don't they don't want anything they just want to share and help you yes yes Uh, i made friends with a lady that i need to speak to and to be honest with you i would pay to speak to her because the the knowledge she was spitting was so good that there was only like maybe 10 of us in the room and five out of the 10, I asked her questions and I was actually nervous to ask her because I I was like, I I want more, but I want to know, you know, she might be expensive. We're in these times, but they're in America. They don't have a serve check. I would be like, can I pay you a hundred dollars for an hour of your time so I can trust you, give you an NDA, tell you what I'm doing, what I need to do. Right. That 
I would pay for it. You know what I mean? She's that good. Wow. That's an awesome platform. It is. All right, man. I got two final questions that I ask everybody. Good. Uh, so the first question is, what does grind or hustle mean to you? Oh, man. Grind and hustle. I'm going to put them together because they're one and the same if you really know what you're doing. Because you can't hustle and be lazy. You can't grind and not hustle. And, and straightly, what it means to me is seeing what you want to get to in a goal and doing everything you can possible to get to that goal within your, your reason. You know what I mean? And, and that's, that's, that's turning over stones that you're not used to turning over. Finding comfort in, in uncomfortable situations. And it's not going to be an easy road, but that's the real grind and hustle. If it came to you easy, there was no grind and hustle in it. You understand what I mean? That's when these guys, oh, why aren't you doing a brook bucket party? Because there's nothing for me to go, brook bucket party. And there's a 500 to 1,000 people there. That's not grinding and hustling in no way. I like grind and hustle because there's a fulfillment that comes from it. Uh, after you've completed it, you realize it's the stages that you've gone through. So when that movie comes out, Destination Wedding, no one can ever say that I didn't grind it out. It's come from 2013. I wrote this movie and we're still firing away. So when I get this movie, nobody can be like, oh, you didn't put the work in. This has been a seven year journey and I'm grinding and hustling to make it work. You know, I've had people that are like, I'll buy it from you for 200,000 or I'll give you this. And I was like, nah, I want to grind and hustle this out and put it to be my soul plane, my first movie starring Jay Martin. And you're going to believe it. You know what I mean? That's what I'm going. So that's what hustle and grind means to me. Grinding out what you really want and getting to that point and making it an uncomfortable and hard road to get there, but getting there. So that's what I feel. Oh, man. And the last question, what does gratitude mean to you? Listen, we talked about this earlier. Um, um, there's my fan base is loyal and loyal meaning I've said it before, me and you have said it, we can do a test run where I could ask for something in public and I get it. That gratitude is not something I take for granted. Um, I show so much gratitude to my fans. You've been at the shows. There's never been, later guys, it's always been, thank you so much for coming. Our next show is this day. I love you guys and I mean it. Gratitude to me is, 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 your, is your receipt. So you buy something in the store and you get a receipt. You understand what I mean? I give you all of me and, and you give me your support and applause and that's gratitude. I would have nothing without my fan base. Trust me. We wouldn't have an interview here. Like, let's cut it off. I got friends. I always have the best friends that I believe I have in the world. My friends are amazing and I'm grateful for them. But gratitude to the whole brand of Jay Martin is what you said. When you go, yo, I'm trying to talk to my man, Jay Martin, what you heard before we actually met. He's a straight dude, man. That guy keeps it real. And that's because I went all this way to not burn people. You understand what I mean? There's times where I didn't have money to pay people what I could have paid them or what they, I mean, what they should have been paid, but they can never say they didn't get anything. And if they got, didn't get anything, I tried. You know what I mean? Like, I'm in my head going, there's nobody I really robbed. You understand what I mean? Right, like I'm right. not my guy. So my gratitude is to my fan base that keep it going. And yes, for all of the things that are obvious, which is our family, health, our God. Um, you know what I mean? Being able to be on the straight and narrow and know that, you know what I mean, people, most people in the city and where you were reside have high regard for who you are as a person. Yeah. 
Wow, Jay, we went two hours. I've never gone two hours before with anybody. <laughs> but I was like, no, no, it, worry, it's like, trust me, there's going to be, we're, we're both going to get so many messages from this because, you know, I just want to thank you for coming on the platform and being so open and honest because yeah. everything that we do is not, you just said it, it's not about us. We can have these conversations in private, but I promise you, there's so many people that are going to get so much value from this, especially in a time like this when people need it. So I just want to thank you for coming on here, brother, and being so open. Hey, I told you already, this one right here is is my eulogy (laughs) because (laughs) it is everything I ever had. Like no one can say that uh, Danny Stone's uh, um, podcast that they didn't hear real Jay. Like I've told everything real, the good, the dirty, the growing up, you, you've heard it all. Like, I, I hope I'm not missing anything, but you nailed it. And that's going to show the type of person you are. You're a phenomenal interviewer. You allow people to speak. You tell the stories. I've, I, I always had respect for you. You know, in my books, you're up here, but if I can grow another half an arm, uh, thank you so much. Uh, anything that any final words, let them know where they can follow you. What, what I will. Uh, people continue to support both of us. Uh, um, you can go to my website, which is jmartenent.com. Uh, follow me on. I need a little more followers to get to 10,000. Like that matters. I'll take 9,000 fans <laughs> over 10,000 followers. So right. I need to get a little bit more. Hopefully you tell a couple more friends to follow me so I can get that certified supposed check mark. Uh, follow me on Instagram, jmartencomic. Um, you know, Facebook that's there and just look out and I know what I'm going to ask. Keep us all in your prayers. Um, and I'm hoping let's hope for, to me, I want to go into 2021 with a new energy and my family lost eight members. In wow. wow. My eight. And I don't mean like you know, distance, man. like we have a family chat where eight are gone. Four of my father's uh, sibling, three of my father's siblings, nieces, nephews from little nine-year-olds right up. Wow. Like we got, we got hit every month. Jeez. We got hit. We thought there's something on us. So it's a rough year. And I, I, I'm, I'm so surprised. I can say that for me, it's been one of the best years of my life. Right. You know what I mean? I got to turn 50 and make it here. My mother passed at 48. She didn't make it to 50. So I'm right. very blessed to make it to 50. And it's been a great year despite those bad things. So I want everyone to look at 2020, 2021 with a new energy, uh, a new drive. And if you're inspired by Danny or myself, uh, keep that inspiration going. And like you said, if people need someone to talk to, to round themselves with the people that surround and around them that have like-mindedness, I'll at your boys. Yeah, definitely. Well, thanks so much, everybody. Thank you, Jay, for tuning in. Uh, thank you, everybody, for, for following, for listening. You know, again, you, I always bring you amazing guests. Jay has been phenomenal. Um, I hope that you can send us a direct message and let us know one of your biggest takeaways from the show. That's it for this episode of the Grind and Gratitude Show. I will catch you on the next episode. Hey, people, I am out like Nate Robinson. Thanks so much for being my co-host on this episode of the Grind and Gratitude Show. I really appreciate you. I hope that you learned something and you're motivated to take action and get on your grind. Didn't that go by fast? If you want more, head over to grindandgratitude.com for show notes and more information about this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and subscribe and leave a rating so more people will tune in. And let me say this. There's something special about you. Grind until you find it. Be grateful when you get it.